Hi there, listener. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Just so you know, this show contains explicit language and some possible adult themes. Listeners under 13 or anyone who could be offended by the subject matter are given caution. Hello, I'm Wesley Van Hoosen, and this is Good Food for Bad Friends. On this podcast, I'll have a different guest every week to talk about their history with food. Along with each episode, you can find recipes inspired by the featured guest on our website, goodfoodbadfriends.com. Brandon Kirchkastler became my friend during an intense part of my life. I was just leaving home for college, my parents were just beginning to divorce, and I hadn't quite mastered the art of making myself subtle yet. Luckily, Brandon willingly took me under his wing, and within him, I found a role model. While theater was our common interest through college, music was actually the first thing to bring us together. I tell this story in the podcast, but my real first memory of Brandon is of him playing one of his guitars in his small college apartment while I sat nearby, quietly eating, and dreaming of the creative life that I was witnessing. Now I know that the image can sound cliché, but Brandon isn't a part of that I-only-played-guitar-in-college group of people. He's built his own instruments, honed his technique over a long time now, and has a growing catalog of songs and compositions he's written himself. At the time that I had met him, my eyes were set on becoming a musician. Brandon recognized that when he saw my own musical passions come through whenever I would talk to him about his process and dreams for making music. Over the course of my college years and before moving away, Brandon showed me a path, and I followed it. Nowadays, Brandon has moved back to his hometown of Helena, Montana, where he's a regular fixture in the theater community there. If you ever get a chance to go to Helena, please do it. It's a gorgeous place with a rich culture, and I always recommend it to people who want to just get away from it all. I visited Helena for the first time when I was 17, just out of high school, and visiting my then-boyfriend who was living with Brandon. I credit that trip with making my bond with Brandon unbreakable. He took me all around his hometown, showing me the best places to shop, eat, and hang out. Since then, I always try to go back to Helena and see him every few years. I'm definitely due for a trip after this episode. I'm so happy to have our next guest on this podcast. Together, I think we learned so much about one another. Please welcome my friend extraordinaire, Brandon Kirchgassler. Well, this is an exciting episode because you did the theme music for this podcast. And um, yeah, plus you've, you know, you've been, God, we've been friends for so long now. And although I must say, I don't ever really recall us having a lot of like food things in our friendship. I think it was always so we were always like in rehearsal or like, you know, um, this or that. It's just kind of like. Eh, you know, was one of the things that got glossed over maybe early on. You know, it kind of was, I think, early on in our relationship, just because we met, you know, when I was in college and you were towards, what was that, your senior year of high school? Yeah, I was a senior in high school. And you were looking at going to Wesleyan. And so um, when you had started coming around the school and you knew, of course, like Richard was there were was he there yet or was he yeah um so Richard was a freshman and I was like still he and I were still like super super best friend like never I mean we still are but 
back then it was like still attached at the hip in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I was just kind of around. And then I dated uh, the guy that was like kind of crashing at your apartment. Yes, you at did. At the time. So I just saw a lot of you anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, like there was always, I was eating, but it wasn't like we spent all that time cooking and things until there was a little bit later, but that was later in my time in Lincoln and really my time after Wesleyan, I feel like. Sure. Sure. And I think for me too, that was really, I think a turning point for me on cooking was really when I moved away and got out to Chicago. Cause I, you know, that was the first time where I, I really was invested in making food for people for the first time. And, I sort of forced myself to learn a few recipes and then a few more and a few more. And then, you know, we're here we are. But, you know, like cooking has slowly taken over my existence with my friends. But I love it for that. I do want to kind of talk quickly about how I have kind of a vivid food memory of you. And it's 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 going to sound really hokey. And like but I think at the time it was just kind of cool. So I, I came to your apartment. And I was in high school and I was dating the guy who was sleeping on the the big bean bag in your living room. What was that thing called? A the love sack. That was the company. Love sack. Yeah. That's right. It was a love sack. And it was, yeah. Uh, and I remember he, he made mac and cheese and like an array of different random things. And we just sat on the floor eating and you played guitar for us the whole time. And I was like, wow, this is what college must be like. <laughs> I don't know why that's like what my thought at the time. But that was seriously like, I was like, wow, I'm glimpsing into my future. <laughs> but that is a very vivid uh, kind of food-ish memory. I do remember like vividly eating in your apartment. It was like, you know, the th on the top floor of like those weird like wooden balconied one side buildings. And yeah, I do. Re I remember exactly the building that it was in that apartment because it was a one bedroom, but I was splitting it with my roommate, Matt. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, your boyfriend at the time was kind of living us in living with us in between figuring out his apartment and college situation. Yeah, but that also meant that there was like three guys living in this one bedroom apartment just kind of like also broke trying to figure out what to eat. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for me, it was it was so in a weird way, kind of like freeing to be in that environment because I was so used to at that point, you know, uh, everything was so manufactured for kids. You know, it was like in high school, we were fed all the time. And any club we were in at home, we ate the same things. You know, I had what pocket money I did have, I'd spend on like fast food. But to actually be in a place where people were like making do with what they had, that for some reason really like resonated with me. Uh, and that began to sort of form how I approached, you know, even grocery shopping, anything from grocery shopping to if I look at a recipe and there's like a billion ingredients and I know that it's like going to be pricey. It's like, eh, this gets, this is like not probably something I'd be interested totally in cooking. And it's just from those early things of seeing people not necessarily struggle, like outwardly struggle, but we, you know, we were all broke. <laughs> you know, we had like our work study jobs or whatever gigs we did to get extra cash. And that was just the way it was. And I don't know. That's definitely been a guiding light for me as I've become an adult 
and I cook for other people. It's like, wh- what feeds a lot of people without, you know, well, without breaking, breaking the, bank. the bank, which is always something that you can do. And that um, college for me was kind of a breaking point, too, as far as food went. And that's for several reasons that I'm sure that we'll get into. And one of those was like the uh, the really like the penny pinching watch, because, you know, I was lucky enough that uh, my mom always provided food for me, even when I was a horrible teenage boy and ate, you know, 8000 calories a day and needed still needed more food somehow. Don't you miss, though, when you could eat 8000 calories a day and you wouldn't regret it later? You wouldn't wake up at four in the morning with heartburn. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't gain weight. Yeah, I was going to say I couldn't break 155 pounds with, you know, in high school at all, no matter what I did or what I ate or how much weightlifting <laughs> to put, I did. Wow. To put this into perspective, when I met you, I weighed 140 pounds. <laughs> I was like the thinnest I'd ever... I was pretty bulimic at that time, I have to admit. But I... Uh, sorry, Mom. <laughs> but like, you know, she doesn't really know that saga of my life too well. But I was like so, so thin. And to think like, you know... I would purge and not to take it there, but you know, to me it's like kind of an, an insane thing to really think about how at that time I struggled so hard with weight when I really didn't need to worry about it no, at that age. And, and of course you really didn't. I mean, even like when I remember first meeting you, yeah, you were small, but I just assumed like I had assumed that you were just a small teenage, you know, well, yeah, yeah, end of high school know. boy, because like, for me, yeah. and there are there are people, everybody has their weight struggles. That was something um, that I was thinking about, too, because we just passed National Eating Disorder Week, Awareness mm-hmm. Week. And yeah. um, there's so many facets to our own relationships with our bodies and with food. Mm-hmm. And I know, for instance, because um, when you had first met me, I think I was back up to probably one that was like sophomore year. So that was like, I was probably back up to 160 pounds, maybe 165 pounds. And I spent a lot of my college career around there. Um, But I dealt a lot with, um, I believe it is called, I just want to make sure I pronounce this correctly, orthorexia, which is not, it's not recognized by, um, the diagnostic and statistics manual at the moment. Right. But it was really only started to be talked about in like 1998. And it's a close linkage of anorexia and like workout addiction. Mm, So I would not eat enough to support the working out that I was doing because of a bad body image and having to want to be an actor looking at people in Hollywood, thinking that my body had to be a thing. And it's, crazy to think that at the time I was so stringent in watching calories and sugar intake and just like whether something was a good food or a bad food, I was so focused on it when I was living, particularly in San Francisco before I moved to Nebraska and went to college down there. um, I was so focused on only eating like natural foods and like counting and like weighing food and things like that. And it's just... It's weird. You lose yourself. And yeah, it uh, not sorry not to interrupt you. Um, the th- thought that comes to me is, you know, when I started out living in Chicago, I mean, I'd struggled with weight all through college and I'd go up and down, you know, that 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 kind of sway, though, where you're given an image and, you know, I 
I don't like to pull the gay card, but I do think that had a great deal to do with it. I think being sort of object what what's the Objectified? word I'm looking for? objectifying myself thank you i was like objectionalized that's not a word <laughs> but i objectified myself to you know because i was promiscuous and i thought i had to look a certain way to keep up and that's like a horrible thing to think well, and like you know was it a, but it's just how it was and hookup culture I was and say as well like- as acting and yeah everything i know i would do auditions um for like summer stock and they'd be like you'd be great for this role if you were maybe 20 pounds 20 pounds lighter and i was already 150 pounds and it's like that it's like you know because my type was boyish i looked like a kid so i had to kind of be underweight and luckily you know jay never made me do that he never cared if i gained weight you know i ballooned during farnsworth invention (laughs) he's like i don't care just get him a different suit but you know like you know, it was tough. It was tough to kind of be in not only that theater thing and, you know, you kind of do have to, so to speak, make weight in a way. Uh, and it, But at the same time, I got sucked into hookup culture at a really young age and that really drove the eating disorders. And once I got out of it, it luckily stopped. And then I got, it's not called overeaters disorder anymore. I think it's called binge eat, like binge eaters syndrome or binge something. The names all change, but I've struggled with, you know, it's, well, and it's, it's hard tough. because there's a, when you start to cycle into things, of course, with any kind of disorder, it becomes familiar and comforting. Mm-hmm. And I know that I was always just grateful and it, Sorry, to jump back, it just, it's so no, ridiculous when people are like, they give them an arbitrary number, gain this much weight, lose this much weight. So I can tell you that, like, right now, as of going to the gym today, mm-hmm. I weighed 190 pounds, mm-hmm. which from my college weight is 30 pounds heavier. And I don't yeah. particularly look necessarily that much larger but I can sure tell you that I feel a lot better. I have more energy and I actually am way more confident in the way that I look because I started focusing on the, for me, it was focusing on strength. Um, Right. And part of that was uh, based on, like I was saying in college, there was this breaking point for my relationship with eating where I really have to throw it out to, you know, Matt, who I was so close to, Oh, I, he just texted me today. We're setting up a Zoom call soon, but oh, he's perfect. like, he's like a hundred billion hours ahead of me or something because he lives in the sparkle be, of sunshine in our lives. I should be better about writing him more letters and things. Uh, and by letters, I mean emails. Um, I wish he was gay because he's my type. <laughs> he's a cute ginger boy. <laughs> I would have been all over him if he was queer. I know in college. Uh, but Matt, Matt came from. A family that was just, I wouldn't say necessarily closer than mine. I'm super close to my mother. I always have been. Everybody that's a friend of mine knows that my mom kind of just adopts them as well. Yeah, Sharon. Shout out Sharon. Um, She like all my book posts on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) It's because my mom is also an avid reader. But Matt came from a family that they had the, my mother unfortunately always had to have multiple jobs when I was a kid because she's an educator. And so being a single mother of myself, 
and moving to a new town and accepting a position and having to kind of get your feet under you. She had to work yeah. a couple jobs, so that meant that there was not a lot of time for preparing meals and preparing them together. So that that closeness that comes with that wasn't necessarily there. We had closeness in other regards. Um, and I remember rooming with Matt for like three years of college. We started to make meals together because he was so used to doing that with like his mom and dad and his brother and sister. And, you know, so then we started making meals together and then we started inviting people over to eat some of those meals because sometimes, you know, if you make a lasagna, there's only two of us and it's better to share it with more people. And then you could have people sit around and play guitar and watch movies. And, and you know, it's it's a very it was the prototypical version of what. I do now when I have a buttload of people over because I it's like, hey, guess who made a fuckload of food for everyone? Just come over and eat. You know, most parties I throw at my house, it's all the food. You know, people, it's so funny. Like, I remember, you know, knowing if you were going to cook because I remember there was like one night it was like fall. Fall, autumn was my favorite at Wesleyan. Autumn was like my favorite time of year. And because because you would like kind of buy stuff to cook somehow the shows we were in, we'd always have these random kind of like weeknights off or, you know, sometimes a time out and we would be able to have dinner and Matt would sometimes be there. And I remember that really being like kind of a nice, you know, come together. That's what I always thought of it as. It's like we didn't always talk about theater. No, like we were always, you know, educated so steeply. And at that time we would come together and talk about what records we were listening to or your writing, my right, you know, anything, you know, it well, was just a nice summon to like kind of just talk to. That's exactly. what I distinctly and sometimes remember. Sometimes we'd even invite people. I remember that we wanted to learn more about that were usually in the program with us. Cause then we had similar schedules, but yeah, you know, cook burgers out on the communal grills out there, which in <laughs> retrospect is probably really gross, but and just oh, sit man. around and talk. And, you know, I had a job. I worked at the Bourbon during college yeah. with Alex. And so, like, I had a I job. And I Shopco. Yes, you did. You worked at Shopco <laughs> for Shopco. most of your life. Um, Six years. That's the longest that's a job long, I've ever had still. <laughs> but I so I always remember that I had some extra funds, usually sometimes mm -hmm. from tips and things. So it was not a big deal to spend money so that other people could eat. Cause it was this, it was this cool thing for me though, that like all of a sudden with the struggles that I had had the first time that I went to college in San Francisco with eating and focusing way too much on it and being like, you know, I got to go do a second session at the gym so that I can work off this dinner that I just ate or these potato chips right. that I just ate. Um, punishing myself for really not even eating too much, but just eating what I thought were the wrong things then all of a sudden the food was facilitating conversation and it was like you were caring for people and there was this family element that I will, again, I wouldn't like say it was completely absent from my childhood, but it was something that I didn't quite have in that regard. Like we didn't really interact a ton with my extended family when I was little, mm. they lived, you know, far away on the other. So Montana is really, really big. And so my grandparents, yes, it like, is. And there's no goddamn gas station between any city. <laughs> <laughs> Drive through it, though. It's gorgeous. But they live over on the eastern side of the state, and my hometown is on the western side of the state. But it's like a right. 10 
or 11-hour drive, depending on the weather. <laughs> okay, your hometown is Helena. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Um, I just wanted to make sure, like, you weren't born in a weird town and then, like, lived most of your life in Helena. No, I was. That's actually that's actually how that story goes. I was born in Glasgow, Montana, which is on the eastern side of the state. Which and is in England. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's almost Canada. Um, it's very, very oh. close to Canada. And then when I was very, very young, we moved to Helena for my mom to have her teaching job that she had here. Right, right. So I spent... 11 years of my childhood in Helena. We moved here when I was eight. So like second mm-hmm. grade. I see. I always wonder what it would have been like to have been moved at any point. We never moved even house. We lived in the same house for 20 years. You know, that's, that was kind of just how my parents were. They looked at houses, but in the, at the long run, you know, they're like, well, you know, this is our house. Like they get like sentimental about it and then they wouldn't want to move. And also usually it was like the houses we'd look at are like, yeah, we can't afford these. <laughs> like, you know, we're just dreaming leading on a realtor at this point. But I always wondered though, what it would have been like to move. I had, cause I had so many friends. I was usually the kid that like wanted to make friends. So if there was a new kid, I didn't like chastise them for it. I would try to be really nice to them. And cause I always felt, bad but at the same time i was always kind of curious it's like i wonder what this is you know like for you you know you come from a strange town or you come to a strange town new teachers different schools even like down to there's different like fast food restaurants you mm-hmm. know it's it's so foreign really and yeah i've always that's always kind of been a, a source of wonderment for me because i never really experienced having to like reestablish it's very until I was on my own. It's so. very, very interesting. I mean, cause like I said, I spent most of my life in Helena, but then I decided when I went to college that first time in San Francisco, that was like three weeks mm-hmm. after I graduated from high school and we had yes. no idea where I was going to college. And I just made a decision. I got accepted to art school in San Francisco and I said, I'm going. And I already mailed my stuff before I told my mom that I was leaving. <laughs> and um, so she's like, where's your stuff? And I was like, I'm going to college. Um, but then to move from a place like Montana, where, I mean, my hometown's population right now is what, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but it's not very much. Um, not even 100,000, I don't think. I can insert a clip here. The population of Helena. Um, oh, that's not how you spell Helena. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and then moving to a city of several million in that right. area. And then all of a sudden I went from, you know, even now, because uh, I'm living back in Helena right now, even mm-hmm. now in Helena, you know, you know not to go shopping for certain things on Sunday because things aren't open. Or like, you know that uh... if you don't, leave work early to get to a shop by five the shop is going to be closed like there's it's it's, very yeah it's still that um we have that small town atmosphere still here even though we're the capital but then in san francisco it'd be like 3 a.m and i'd be up with my roommates and my roommate would be like let's go get a burger and i'm like what are you talking about nothing's open like (laughs) do you want to make a burger and they're like no let's go and then we'd go down to this 
you know, weird corner place, bars on the windows, but it yeah. was a diner and they were serving <laughs> food. You could get anything that you wanted any time of the day. And that was very, very interesting to me. And it was a very neat and kind of terrifying experience. Right. And I think it also sort of is shocking. Um, for me, it was weird when I first moved out here, you know, and I knew I didn't really live in the city. So I always sort of think that first year here is like I lived in Chicago, but not really in Chicago. But when I moved in with Aaron into our like little two bedroom that we had um, not far from where I live now, that we had like a diner that was open till like 2 a.m. There's a 24 hour shawarma place. There's like a sushi place around the corner that would give us extra food. You know, it was that I get what you're saying. It's like, you know it's different when you go to a bigger city and it's not, you know, I don't know. It's just, things are so much more accessible and easy to get, you know, there's like a store in downtown Chicago where you can get anything that's imported from Italy and it's like affordable and it's a grocery store. And to me, it's like, wow, you know, this would be balls expensive if I got this in Nebraska, but just the mere fact of living in a big city, it's just there you know, on kind of on command. And it's a little, it is a little weird sometimes. It is. And you go from a place like Montana to then San Francisco, right on the water. My diet went Mm. from mostly, you know, we've got a lot of hunters and things up here too, including, you know, my father and um, a lot of family members. So you wind up with game, you wind up with elk meat, deer meat, um, odd meats. I've eaten some odd meats up here too um, because of some of the reservations and things up here. Cause my mother's mm-hmm. hometown is um, half of it is within a reservation and half of it is not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went from a diet of mostly that like beef and game to fish. Ah, but it's, I, f- I found like one of the most like now still to this day, one of my most comforting and like favorite things to eat is still, I remember for the first time sitting on a dock in San Francisco, you know, and you're looking out over the bay and then into the ocean and for $5, you get a sourdough (laughs) bread bowl and it's just filled with clam chowder that they like just made because the boats came in in the morning and it's so fresh. And I just remember how warm and nice that was. And that, that vivid memory for me, that was probably when I first moved there. So like June or July, that was one of the first months that I was there and it was just, Mm -hmm amazing and it like that feels like the city to me when right. i remember back to that i always when i remember back to my time in san francisco i remember that sure see i so i kind of have a moment like that of chicago and it's it it's on the navy pier and it doesn't even it doesn't even involve food but i like i know what you mean where you're like there's a place that sort of kind of sums it up in a way and it's like you you can take it all in kind of unabashedly and just appreciate the place you're in. And there's a place at the end of the Navy Pier. It looks out onto Lake Michigan. And when you turn around, you see just a wide view of the skyline. And it's probably the prettiest thing in this city. But for me, it's like, if I'm in that place, it's like, ah, yes, this is, you know, where I'm at. And so like that. I wrote that down, though. I love that it's a sour. I'll eat anything in a bread bowl. So (laughs) that's our, yeah. Absolutely. But that sourdough is yeah. so specifically San Francisco to me. Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, I really 
I mean, I want to say I've read something about how San Francisco is kind of like a bread capital of there's, the U.S. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of places that serve fish, and then they also serve mm-hmm. like the bread and stuff. They do kind of both, so that they sure. can remain open all day and make money. And those little yeah. spots, you have to get kind of away from you know the tourist piers and go more towards the actual industrial piers. And then there's places where they're feeding workers and doing that kind of stuff. For sure, for um, sure. Yeah, but it's it's vividly there. I have some things that in my mind are just vividly attached to San Francisco, but that specifically is one of them. Mm. And then being able to try, um, I remember because Chinatown was very close to where I was living in San Francisco, which not that everything in San Francisco is not close to itself. It's seven miles by seven miles. It's not a very big... <laughs> it, 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 I feel like just because it's a big city... It- you know, we just we think it's huge, but in reality, it's so compact. It's, and it's like smaller than my. I mean, square, you know, square miles. It's much smaller than the hometown that I live in. You just have to. Oh yeah. Drive places here because things aren't that close together, but mm-hmm. there they are. They're very close together, which is of course why real estate is astronomical over there. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, I I I wouldn't even want to ask. Like. <laughs> I stopped looking. I was looking at listings and stuff this last year just for fun, and I had to stop because it made me so sad. God, house prices in Chicago make me sad, let alone what even renting an apartment in San Fran would be like. But Well, because, I mean, when I lived there summer of 07 into 08, I paid $850 for my part in rent. Oh, my God. And, that's... and I lived with five other people. In a three-bedroom apartment. And that's like... The inflation from then to now is still pretty intense. Yes. Like, yeah. No, it's so funny. Dylan and I are are watching uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show. And they talk a lot about, you know, the price of things in the 70s. And it's like, huh. You know, we like did it like one of those, like, what's this amount in today's dollars? And it's like, you know someone who made $30,000 a year in 1972, that's like $180,000 now. And I'm like, that's like incalculable to me. (laughs) Like just how insane that is. is. What does that mean? You mean you don't like literally going out to dinner is actually a choice. It's not. Yeah. (laughs) It's not about necessity. Insanity. Um, Um, Yeah, no, I, so from even from 2007, I remember, I remember, you know, even what groceries cost five years ago, and it's still gotten ridiculous. Thank pandemic did everything. Well, I, we need to hop into our questions because oh, I know you've actually prepared. Well, no, you're fine. I'm just I know you actually prepared answers. So I want to make sure we actually get to them <laughs> as I like realize I love what we're I love the banter, but I I would feel bad if I didn't. um get your what you thought about out into the sphere so um you did say you had vivid memories of like san francisco and it's you know it also sounds like with lincoln and our school and everything and um do you have a very first vivid memory of food that's the question that i like to ask everyone i dwelled on that one for a little while when you kind of sent the questions um to prepare for today and Mm -hmm. One of the things that I just kept coming back to and coming back to, because it must be the earliest food memory that I have, is I remember specifically, you know, and it's so simple, but it sticks in your mind so prevalently, is mom would make toast 
And then she'd melt butter on that toast. And she'd mm-hmm. mix up cinnamon sugar herself. And then she would do that. And then that would be kind of like my weekend breakfast. Like, a, yeah. you know, good job. You went to preschool this week. I mean, I was like four. But <laughs> so whatever mine, she... Mine was uh, peanut butter and jelly with potato chips and a glass of coke <laughs> it's like but it's, sugar 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 salt sugar bread like, like <laughs> exactly no i'm like, not trying just, to my mom's like don't blame me and i'm like i'm not blaming you i know it was the 90s we didn't know better like <laughs> no but you know it was a it was a cheap way to give something to me as a small child that you know, A, got me to eat breakfast, and B, it, it was special because, like, mom was doing that for yeah. me, and that meant a lot. Or sometimes my my brother would even do that if he was making breakfast, because my brother is about seven years older than me. So mm-hmm. at any given time, you know, he was always quite a bit older sure. than I was. So he was yeah. always my, like, number one babysitter, and we were, you know, best buddies when we were that little. Well, when I was that little, he was. Wow, like, I wasn't with Miles. I'm six years older than Miles, and he was a little shit. Like, no, he was just he he's the he was the opposite of yeah. me. He had I was the kid that read the books and liked English. He was the kid that hated reading and wanted to do action figures and draw and math. Like, we were just on different planets. And, and but you know, I'm very grateful we're close now. But it's. I, I, I'm thinking I'm like wow I never made Miles breakfast <laughs> I was like I would have never done that for him <laughs> I would now but <laughs> but no I love that though because it is also like it is a thing that a, a family member does and I don't know there's something about you know what you're saying is especially with like your mom doing it there's something about having a family member make something that is something only you get and it's like just that much more I don't know. It makes it such a more remembered food for that. Well, in the memory as an adult, one of the reasons I cherish it more now as an adult than even I did when I was a kid is, you know, I think that in general in life, a lot of the time we don't realize how special some of the moments that we're in are until you can finally put all the pieces together. And one of the pieces that I put together is as I got older and I was learning how to cook um, and I had to learn how to cook rather early, but when I got older and learned how to cook, I realized that my mom's forte was her intellect and her caring and her emotional uh, intelligence and things. It was not culinary arts. Mm. Um, and not to, you know, not to, again, I, you know, I'm sorry, mom. Um, she, she has grown in her cooking skills as we have both gotten. Older, hey, but... so has Linda. It's okay. You know, but you know, at the same time, I think one thing that I realize more and more seeing, you know, my friends, especially become adults is that, you know, it's not sometimes the food is sometimes just a survival thing. It's not a devotion. It's not a uh, sometimes it's not even an interest. It's just it's necessary and I'll feed them. And that's kind of where it ends. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's no, just how some people are. Not at know? all. And I think that my mom just didn't spend a lot of time. She and her mother necessarily didn't get along when she was growing up. So she didn't spend mm. a lot of time in the kitchen with her mom. So sure. she learned how to cook out of love for me and my brother. So as an adult, I cherish that even more because, you know, maybe the toast was a little bit burnt even because she left it in too long or left it on the grill too long. <laughs> 
And, but it didn't matter because she was going out of her way to do something that was not necessarily passionate for her or the most comfortable mm-hmm. for her in order to do something that I would get excited about. So yeah, that makes that, that I think that that's why I latch on to that so much. Now. Sure. Sure. And do you ever make it? Do you ever oh, make absolutely. It absolutely. <laughs> and then like, you know, you make it for people when they're like feeling down or something. Cause it makes me feel better to eat cinnamon toast when I'm I down. do that too. There's, there's still foods that I, when I was growing up, if any of us ever got sick, that food was definitely like chicken soup, just yeah. a can of chicken soup. However, nowadays, if one of us gets sick or if I have a friend that gets sick, you know, we're not in a pandemic and they want soup. I'll make like the full blown real deal. And, but it, it, but it's weird because it still reminds me of my mom. You know, it's still something it's like I associate to her because, and my dad too. Um, my dad, <laughs> now that I keep thinking about it, there's a really distinct memory I have. I used to drink uh, when I was like really little, like a toddler, maybe before I was in school. Do you remember like Juicy Juice? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Well, I li- didn't like it cold. I liked it warm. And so <laughs> my dad would usually make it for me, and he never got it wrong. But my mom, it would be like boiling hot. And I'd be like, you're doing it wrong. And she's like, your father showed me the inst- how to do it. And when I think about it now, I'm like, I bet you he lied to her so that way he could have that. You know, like. He could be the better parent. He, he could the be moment. the better like- parent for the juicy juice. And, you know, I mean, no no shade to my mom, but maybe I don't know what the deal was. I mean, but it's really funny because I had to when my dad started working earlier, I had to learn how to do it for myself because <laughs> I was like, no, this isn't happening this way. I'm doing it now. <laughs> but that's a I kind of forget about these things. And then, you know, that's the beauty of this of this podcast in a way is we kind of start digging. You, well, and you finding. start remembering. Yeah. Um, well, cause you just, for some reason that sparked a memory for me. Um, my parents split when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And so I would spend time with my mom and my dad in two different spots, more, uh, sure. more with my mom, but then some times with my dad. And I just remember being really young and I remember going duck hunting with my father. And I mean, I was really young. I was probably shouldn't have held a gun. But, um, <laughs> but this is Montana and we don't like to be told what to do. Um, but I do remember we got some ducks and my dad defeathering them and then cooking. And it's not, duck steak is not a thing. But I remember him like cutting a very small piece of like what must have been like the duck breast or some thigh or something and sure. presenting it to me as duck steak. <laughs> and I just I do remember it being really really good and it's still one of my favorite like I I like duck. Yeah. Um, oh my I know you do because I have a very distinct memory in college where I got out of rehearsal and came to your apartment and there was like a half massacred duck on the table. And you're like just eat it with your hands. It's really good. <laughs> it's cuz I made I was super interested in making tea roasted duck. It's a Chinese dish. And it, oh, yeah. And it took me eight hours. So I hope that you enjoyed that duck. It was good. Did you? Day. I had a question for you because I never, I actually thought about this in that moment and I just never asked. And, it, you know, now I have a chance again now that we're on the topic. Did it um, smoke up your apartment when you roasted it? 
it's such a slow roast um okay that it really doesn't that's why if you go to like a traditional chinese restaurant usually they don't advertise things like tea roasted duck because it does take like eight to nine to ten hours right and it's supposed to be a slow roast on a spit but being a college kid i just turned the bird every yeah. once in a while or yeah. have matt Let's, turn the bird. it works and um, in the oven. But I think that airing out, having to turn it, is what kept it from doing that. Sure, Cause, sure. Cause, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, because I do remember the apartment smelling like duck for like two days afterwards. Oh, it's like bacon. It's yeah. like, it's just like, you know, but it's not a bad smell. I mean, hey, it's... I The one thing I learned from my granddad, he made duck once for me. <laughs> and I think... He thought it was something going to be something different than what it was. But the way he did it was he would boil the duck to leach all the fat out of it. Yeah. And then you roast it. But the thing is, is that it makes it impeccably dry yes. if you do it the wrong way. And I think he did it the wrong way. But, you know, he did. He in that moment taught me to keep the stock though he's like keep this chicken stock with the duck fat in it <laughs> he's like that will make incredible food later on you know but so i learned that at least in that moment but no duck is i've never made it i'm kind of afraid of it it's i don't know it's not i feel bad. like Maybe... if, my, if my granddad can't do it i probably shouldn't have any business trying <laughs> i feel like if you know to keep it more like to keep the moisture in the meat though because that is the key it does get really really dry and that's the yeah. problem with some of that bird some of those wild bird um, and it's and it's it's so strange too because duck is so fatty and it's like there you know there's got to be a tried and true method i'm sure there is but for for a slow roast, I mean that always works. That's like how uh, like duck confit works, where you just cook a duck. I think it's a duck breast in its own fat. You just for a long basic, time. yeah. It's like takes like eight or nine hours, I think. But yeah, no duck is that's a that one's real. <laughs> Did you ever make the little t teeny tiny chickens like the Cornish game hens? Oh yeah, I've made Cornish game hens <laughs> multiple times. I, you know, like I said, getting older and then after college, like trying to actually cook mm. was something that always interested me um i need an excuse i have found out though that like i need an excuse to do it because i can be very complacent and eat the same things day after day um partially yeah. for you know i have physical goals for myself of course with like protein intake and things um because aside from just acting i do stunt work and i have to be very physical for things like that right um and remain kind of athletic. So there are certain things that I focus on, but I found much healthier ways to do that getting older. Sure. Um, for me, it's, it's, um, oh, that's like an area of my life that I feel like I'm preparing for, which I know sounds weird, but I've never been totally like, um, committed to be quite honest with healthier eating, healthier, like working out, doing because you know living life as a server time is very kind of like elusive in that job so it's hard to you know say no when everyone wants to go out have a drink and eat at the end of like a super you know fucked up day you know i'd rather do that than go to the gym and you know so for me it was always kind of a terrible judgment call on myself that i just made the wrong judgment and you know in every moment it's like i excuse myself from it but then 
eventually, you know, it just isn't like, oh, well, I haven't focused on that. And during the pandemic, especially, it's been hard because, you know, with Chicago being the way it is with unemployment, hospitality and restaurant employment basically doesn't really exist totally yet still. And, you know, I want to go back to the job I had because I loved it. And so I'm willing to wait, you know, as long as I can, you know, until that happens. And so the one thing that I've learned I can control is food. And that, you know, unfortunately, hasn't set me up for failure, but I'm definitely heavier than I should be. You know, I'm... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I... My weight when I left college, I think was 175. And, you know, I've grown since then, though. I kind of, like, grew a little bit after I got out of school. Like, so I got a little bit broader. My legs got a little bit more, like, you know, muscular and stuff. Uh, But I still weigh more than I should, and I look, you know, bigger. You know, I'm obviously, I've gained weight. But at the same time, to me, it's like, you know... It doesn't change me. I've luckily been able to recognize, you know, that doesn't make me a bad person just because at this moment I'm about 40 pounds heavier than I should be. And, you know, well, and it's who's to say where you should or shouldn't be. Either. And that's the thing. I just read a chart and think that's where I should be. And at this, and that's just like after this pandemic, I'm like, I've got to see like a dietitian or a nutrition, a nutritionalist. Nutritionist. nutritionist i like adding it's fine i like adding syllables but like you know like but it's like i know that that was a goal of mine before the pandemic happened and i'm like i know with cooking with the passion i have for food i can totally make that change and you can willingly really food for the most part about healthy lifestyles it's a huge part of that battle for a yeah. healthy lifestyle and a healthy lifestyle has to have that physical health emotional and mental health those are all big, big parts of it. So by accepting mm-hmm. yourself as like that realization of I am still a good person, no matter what this outside really looks like, that's good though. And I think yeah. a lot of the times the reaching out to people like nutritionists or like dietitians or, you know, getting physical trainers for some people in the gym, it's I mostly just, too, yeah. you need to just equip yourself with the knowledge so that you don't if you don't know where to start with any given facet of a lifestyle that you want to have or that you know is going to be the best for you, what? how are you going to step into it? You can't. If you yeah. walk into a gym and stare at all of that equipment and the only thing that you know how to do is get on the treadmill, then the only thing you're going to do is get on the treadmill, but then what if that doesn't get the results you want? And then yeah. you start you know, hating yourself for and- that or feeling bad about that. The the terrible thing too that I the terrible thing that I found too just within I think uh, fitness culture maybe is that you know a lot of it is about food shaming and that always hurts because to me it's like here's the thing food is communal food is cultural food is you know family to a lot of people and to have it kind of denigrated in a way to it just being seen as a tool to make yourself better and not necessarily as an indulgement. And not only that, but I think the way the fitness culture works in our country, it, it kind of sets someone like me up for failure. 
because it's like, oh, every January you have to lose 100 pounds, go back to the gym. It's practically free, you know, and you go. And then I'm always the person that goes for three months, falls off because I've plateaued. And, you know, I realized after, you know, so many months in the pandemic, it's like, you know, I need to get a, a like a like a physical trainer because I need to have someone who knows how the body works, knows what my goals are. And, you know, with someone who I could work with, like a nutritionist, it'd be great because I know they like cooking. Most nutritionists probably like cooking on some level. So, like, to me, it's like, you know, I've never really accepted those things as, you know, I've always kind of been like, no, I can do it myself. But, it, you know, as I approach 30 and realize it's like, no, I really can't do that myself. I need I need to have a more. I need to have it better explained and given to me. And that's the thing. So, it's just yeah. education. It's another level yeah. of education. And learning those things is not bad. I mean, even even though I have been working out and going to the gym for a long time in my life, there's still stuff that, like, I learn new things. Or, you know, I realized that I... Um, I hurt my back while I was working for the moving company. It was a, mm-hmm. well, it wasn't really an accident. I stopped an accident from happening with a grand piano. And so it <laughs> it's of course them. it's the biggest, most heavy thing, uh, and, you know, <laughs> and going up a hill and it had been rainy and it was just, it was not a good circumstance. So the piano didn't get hurt, which was great. <laughs> just drop the I, Acme sign now. <laughs> like It's just like, exactly. I'm just imagining Looney Tunes at this point. But I, however, did get hurt. Yeah. Um, and not terribly, but I knew that something was wrong. And I went to the doctor and sure enough, I had torn a bit of the lateral muscles in my back. They started yeah. to split. And so we got me on physical therapy, which, of course, I'm gonna, that's going to be a big shout out to me. Anybody that is going to physical therapy for something, just continue to do physical therapy. Um, and the exercises are boring. You have to do them what feels like way too much, but you know, Mm. I have full range of motion and I have full ability to use my back because I did what I was supposed to do. And, but sometimes it does get tired. So I've adjusted some exercises for myself for my body. And you do even, even for people that know what they're doing in a gym, and I've made those adjustments very mindfully, that doesn't stop you from necessarily getting shamed in that arena as well. Mm-hmm. There are just people that go into any given area in our lives that just for some reason, like they just want to, I don't know. I don't know what they get out of it necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I do think that that's a, that's a big part. You're mentioning food shaming from people that are in the health and fitness industry. They're like, you know, oh, you, you had a Coca-Cola. Okay. Well, you had a Coca-Cola, but what else did you eat today? Yeah. The hard thing for me to understand, I guess, especially seeing it just firsthand working as a server is just the amount of denial people put themselves through. You know, they'll eat food that they obviously don't want, but it's in the name of, you know, being a, almost a better person, not a healthy person. I'm just hoping once this pandemic is done, I can, you know, find a personal trainer, find, a nutritionist who's kind of on the same page as me with cooking and you know just 
my goal is to have a flat stomach. I've never had one, and I want one. <laughs> so it's like, well, and you know what's hey. interesting about that is that you know when you speak to people that are going to be educated in those areas, if it's a if it's a goal just to push yourself, I'm all about people pushing themselves to be the the version of themselves that they know is in their head. Exactly, because like, that's the thing. I don't imagine myself as big or as kind of weight gained or, you know, where I am right now. I still imagine myself where I was 10 years ago. And I'm like, ooh, I should probably try <laughs> like to, you know, well, I'm such get a back. Big and, I was just going to yeah. say, I'm such a big proponent of make, make this, this is going to sound so cyclical, but make yourself match yourself. If you yeah. want to be the person that goes out there and not even necessarily about physical looks, but if you want to be the person that stands up for people in public, well then be the person that stands up for people in public. Yeah. And it's a hard choice to make because it's going to be uncomfortable and making any kind of large life change is going to be uncomfortable for me coming out and of college. The uncomfortability was kind of being okay. Eating other foods again. Mm -hmm. Like I, at one point in my life was so focused on eating chicken and vegetables and, you know, and there's, there's bodybuilding regimes and things that people do that they need to do and follow and they do it in a healthy way. And I was doing it in an unhealthy way. I had a very unhealthy mm -hmm. relationship. The inside me and the me that I was putting out into the world were not the same. And I would say that mm -hmm. I've gotten to a spot where they are, they match much more. Sure. And I appreciate that. But that means, you know, like I am coming home from work now and I'm, cooking meals that have like multiple ingredients or things that I would have maybe yeah. been like, that's not great. Or, you know, I, I do, and I limit the consumption of it, but like, I enjoy beer. Yeah. It's a very, very social thing in Montana, not necessarily just the bars, but we have so many breweries around that it's a thing that you go do and people are, you know, I have friends that own breweries, so they want you to try new things or see what right. you like. And oftentimes, I mean, even our breweries in Montana are family friendly. So people bring their families. Right. Yeah. And just like hang out and all the breweries allow you to go get food somewhere else and bring them there. So oh, that's a, see, I love that. I also love, though, and this is sort of a thing. I hope this comes back into fashion after the pandemic. A lot of breweries would just open their own restaurants yeah. and have craft food with their beer but it was like, you know, I'm trying to remember which one it is here that I really like. I'll think of it at some point. We but have no, yeah. Missouri River Brewing Company here over in East Helena now has Carmadillos, mm -hmm. which is a Mexican restaurant that has been around the Helena area for a long time and been a longtime favorite. But they moved locations to go partner with that brewery so that they would always have the food there and they have their location out there now yeah and i think it's a great idea i know that there was 406 brewing over in bozeman that had their own restaurant in there too and made their own gastropub food and they had poutine of course which is also one of Ugh. those just dishes that you just can't get enough of god um, you know it's one that's one of those dishes where it's like you know we keep talking about kind of like the the denial of food and um just kind of all that that happens with the you know, just body image and all those things when they get cloistered together. But I've always been the type where even as much as I might not like how I look, I still don't care. And I will order poutine or 
you know, whatever is the worst thing I could do for myself on a menu. But to me, it's just like, I want to experience it. I want to try it. When we were in Germany, when Richard and I were in Germany, I I was like, you know, in my own mind, I'm like, I don't, this is to me, this is like research. This is exploration. So these calories don't count. So, you know, like I, I wanted to try whatever there was, whatever it was. I mean, granted, it's mostly like a lot of meat and potatoes, but, you know, and, you know, starch. But I, I just I, I am trying to find that balance still of, you know, what truly is indulgence, because I don't really know what indulgence is. I just eat what I want. And that's like that's sort of like a pseudo positive attitude, because, yeah, you can be proud of it. But at the same time, I know that I'm going to cause headaches for myself as I get older and my mm-hmm. health doesn't get better. You know, like we don't get, you know, we can get healthier, but you know, we're not, you're never going to keep reaching peaks physically eventually. No, you're and not going to live forever. Exactly. It's... And I, I would much rather make those decisions, you know, before I face heart disease or, obesity you know before the the things that happen that kind of can become irreversible happen and you know yeah it's just kind of that's what i'm sort of facing i guess i was gonna say i just think that being cognizant is good having that foresight is good now you brought up a really good question which is like what is that indulgence and when i think about it i think that if you just learn to listen to your body because there are, there are times if you're talking like uh, in biomechanics and like what your body needs, like if your body really, really needs like more salt, it's going to tell you that it needs that more sodium. Mm-hmm. It's going to tell you it needs more sugar. I know that that I naturally, even when I was a kid and my mom will tell you this, I wasn't much of a sweets eater for some reason. I liked savory foods even when I was little. Mm-hmm. I was not a huge fan of eating which is odd for a child, but I didn't really like eating candy that much. I'd have some, but it was mostly like Halloween. I'd go on my, you know, sugar binge. And then I'd be like, I'm pretty well in set and I don't really need any, but that's one thing that as an adult, I've realized that cause I just don't have a natural inclination to be like, I'm going to pop a Jolly Rancher in my mouth or I want to have a Snickers or something that one of the things that I've actually noticed is that like my blood sugar will drop because I don't naturally lean towards those things and I lean towards way more things that have salt and savoriness to them. So then mm-hmm. I'm drying myself out and I'm like, give me a glass of water and also give me a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> um, and I just think that when you learn to listen to your body, which is hard because like sometimes you've developed bad habits or you've developed kind of an aversion to what your body's telling you because in ways like uh in ways you can even have that towards the inclination of like oh i'm trying to be more healthy i'm focusing on being more healthy so no my body telling me that i you know like that chocolate or ice cream or you know another hot dog it's like Mm -hmm. well no if your body's really really like not like craving as in like i need i'm 36 weeks pregnant and i need a pickle right i need a pickle and vanilla ice cream (laughs) yeah but it's like if you need just a little bit of sugar or if your body's like, you know what, maybe just a little bit more protein with dinner. It's not bad. Just learning to listen to your body. Yeah. Is something that I think is so good. So if 
if you get to that spot, that's a really, really healthy place. And then if you're making that mental health match, that physical health, I just think then overall you start to see less problems in your right. health. Right. And the, the thing that I, I sort of realize, I guess, for myself overall is that I was sort of handed a bad card, you know, a bad hand on the just sort of different factors of how my family ate, what caused them to eat that way. I mean, my grandparents were all diabetic on some level, I'm sure. You know, my grandfather on my dad's side, he he was actually like the one who had to take insulin and do the, you know, the finger poking and all that stuff. But I mean, that didn't stop him from, you know, going to Dairy Queen and buying a box of Dilly Bars or bo- going and buying a whole box of Butterfingers and like, that and my grandparents never denied me a thing growing up and so i ate terribly in those places i i developed such terrible habits at such a young age and again they were just trying to be the fun grandparents it wasn't anything out of malice or you know bad intentions but looking at it now it's like well you know i know most parents would never let that happen now you know it's just the 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 world has changed so much in that regard towards like sugar intake and you know what just kids are given in a celebratory way versus what they're given every day and how that it, i guess like in my life that line was so blur like so blurred you know i never really knew what I was and was not allowed to have with food because if one person didn't give it to me, I'd find another person to that would. Yeah. And you know, just that's just how I was as a kid and having the freedom to cook whatever I want and eat whatever I want. That is sort of like, it's sort of a trick in a way for me because I have to be conscious of it. But at the same time I have to be like, well, what's the right thing to do, you know, like, and how can I still enjoy myself in the right thing to do? And I don't know. I I'm, I'm excited to like, see how this goes after the, after I can afford, you know, after I have a job again and not trapped in my apartment. But, you know, in the meantime, I guess like, you know, the things that I do now are, I just try to, you know, eat a balance of things. I try to not overdo sugar. I'm epically failing this week. <laughs> I've like wanted sugar so much, but no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's always been a journey type thing for me. And it's, I'd like for that journey to end. <laughs> like, you know, I'm kind of <laughs> tired of it now. It's like, it's like, damn, well, how just, long are we on this for? <laughs> like To be in a sustainable, happy lifestyle. And I know that that's what we're, aiming for in every aspect of our life. Yeah. But to have what you consider a healthy relationship, like I really realized, you know, and this is years and years later in my life, it was, I was sitting and, you know, cooking a meal and just eating and realizing that my relationship with food now is so much healthier than it was when I was 19 years old. And to be able to celebrate that by sitting down and eating a meal without thinking what components are in the meal mm-hmm. and just knowing that 
it's sustaining me and it makes me happy and I'm sharing it with somebody that I want to enjoy my time with. And it's the, the freedom of that. Yeah. And that's just kind of what I wish for everybody with food, because having to think about like, as we were talking earlier about like college and spending that time with family and bonding over like little cookouts and meals or me Mm -hmm. being like, I have this entire 20 pound duck. Like, will people please come over and eat this? Um, I don't know. That means the world because connecting with people. And I think it's something that, you know, we all knew before, but I know that people are feeling more and more now connecting with people in any which way that you can. It's meaningful. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's huge. It's, it's so interesting too, because like I, food has been such a a guidepost for me as far as creating family and, you know, uh, bringing people together. It's, it's the, the one thing I know works and I, you know, very rarely have I ever seen it fail. And so for me, it's such a, it's so hard to have gone this long and not have the usual 10 or 12 people over. And now 10 or 12 is like a hundred or a thousand. It's so strange to think about at one point, you know, we, yeah, we did have parties with that many people in one space. No one cared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I hope that there's not a weirdness about that. And, you know, about going back. Yeah. And because I tell my friends, it's like, look, once we're all vaccinated and the government, the CDC is like enough people are vaccinated now that we can have small get togethers like that. I'm like, the food is going to be real. Like, it's going to, you know, I'm like, because that's that's what it's about for me. It's about, you know, I haven't seen people in so long. I haven't been able to share such an elemental part of my life with people you know it's gonna be a go big or go home situation so (laughs) i'm excited for that i do um i do kind of want to pivot away from uh not that this isn't fascinating but i just fear it would suck up all of our time again (laughs) i'm not good at keeping track of my own questions um but i i kind of want to ask you a little bit about your hometown because I visited Helena Mm -hmm. twice in my life and it's a gorgeous town and I wish I had like a summer home there but um the one thing that I guess I have really wondered is like is there an iconic food of Montana or Helena or like the northwest kind of like wooded area that you know is that part of the United States like you did mention kind of like hunting so I suppose mm-hmm. that, in a way, could sort of there. Be yeah, there's there. a lot of that, and I will say too, like if people can shoot it up here, they probably will try to make it into jerky. Um, sure. Which is odd. Like I've had swan jerky, and it's not great. <laughs> All um, I imagine is just feathers for some reason. Like it. I remember it was a kid I went to high school with had shot a swan, had a tag for it, <laughs> did it all the right way. He made it into jerky, and he's like, you got to try this. And I did. And at first, it was like, okay. It had that ducky kind of fatting. Sure, sure, sure. And then as that went away, I was like, oh, oh, this tastes like rubber. No, no, no. And then it like, uh, had that burnt taste to it. It was just, and I don't tires, know. Tires, tires. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know if the process went wrong. I'd say there's a couple things up here. So there's always, there are Rocky Mountain oysters. Rocky Mountain oysters 
every year, not this last year, of course, because of the pandemic, but every year there's a <laughs> testicle festival. Oh my God, there's one in Nebraska too. It's right so, outside yeah, Lincoln. They are bull testicles. Steer testicles. <laughs> I, I wrote testicle first, so now I have to write testicle of bull slash steer. <laughs> so those, those are a thing that people eat or dare each other to eat up here. I'm sure there's people that genuinely enjoy them. I have never as a native born Montana been brave enough. My dad, my dad tried to get us to try them, but I think when we went to the restaurant that serves them, they were sold out. Cause okay. So here's the story. So I've visited Lincoln during this pandemic a few times, just driven back and seen just my family. Um, But the one time I went back in the summer, I think it was like 4th of July. We went to this place that's in South Bend, Nebraska, or maybe mm-hmm. it's in Louisville. I don't remember. But, um, or Louisville. It's not Louisville. That's Kentucky. Uh, but th- they have an annual testicle festival every year, and it's a steakhouse. And the steaks there are fucking great, you know. But it's in the middle of like scenic Nebraska nowhere. And it's on a hill. But yeah, no. Uh, my dad said he tried them. And I think he said they tasted just kind of like... He said like the texture was a little strange. But he all, he said that like his boss or someone would like have people try them and say they were like chicken nuggets. And they'd be like, actually, it's bull testicles. Because they're fried. They come fried in, at this restaurant. Mm. But anyway, I've never had them. One of the other things that I always would share with either people from college or... Um, people that I've worked professionally with too, um, that's from Montana are huckleberries. Yeah. I was going to say, you probably remember me bringing every time I would come back to Montana, I'd always make a run to get like huckleberry jam, uh, gummy bears. Let me tell you this because of you. Anytime I see huckleberry, anything, a surge of excitement comes over me because I'm like, Oh, Brandon, but like at the same time, I love Huckleberry things because of you. Like you gave me once, you didn't know what to get me. I think because you like went to Mon- you like went home for the summer, and then came back to Wesleyan. I think you mm-hmm. you know like you did Grand Street or something out there, and you gave me Huckleberry Rock Candy because I love rock candy, and I was like where can I buy more of this? And you were like, that's all I brought back. I'm like, Brandon, you're torturing me. Like, And so when I went to Helena for the first time, I bought as much Huckleberry stuff as I could find. Tea specifically is my mm-hmm. favorite. And it's delicious. And there's, I mean, you can go picking it out in the wild here. The, the thing that you have to be cognizant of is if it's right after hibernation season for bears, bears also really, really like huckleberries. Yep. Oh, I so. changed my mind. Syrup. No, it was the syrup. That was my favorite. Huckleberry oh, pancake so syrup. Kirk was addicted to the licorice. He oh, always that's good asked me too. to bring the huckleberry licorice when I came back. And I got Richard Huckleberry coffee more than once as well. Actually, but it's just one of those things. Sorry, sorry. He and I are actually trying to find that coffee now because we're going to do a coffee podcast. And we're going to try different coffees. I'm like, where is that Huckleberry one that you had that one time? Let me go. I'll go down and look at the General Merck here and see what I can find. I miss that store. (laughs) God, can I give you just can I just give you money? (laughs) Like a list. (laughs) That's the thing that I would say about Montana, because there's another regional food. And I sent you a recipe for this one. Oh, okay. 
uh, it's well, regional to Butte specifically is kind of where it started up here, Butte, Montana, which was a big mining town. It used to be the wealthiest city in the United States at a point. Right. Way long ago. Had more millionaires per capita than the entire country. Isn't that weird? I always think that's one thing that I, I love reading in history books is that Montana has a very like illustrative history to the United States as far as like, well, like barons and, you know, just ty- like tycoons kind of all moved there at one point And I don't know. Even like movie stars. Myrna Loy is from here. Yeah. Um, Gary Cooper is from Helena. So... Like they just, it's like they just don't mention it. Oh, that's right. It was the, it was the, it was the pasty. Yes, and I'm always like, or, I know I read the pasties. recipe. It's See, pasties or pasties, and <laughs> the, I hear people say it both ways, and I know that people have feelings about saying it one way or the other, but they're pretty much. I mean, it's really just a meal in a really well cooked bun that's really what it is it's, it's like you're baking a loaf of bread around a meal it's essentially have, it's like kind of from the dumpling family in a way yes it really really is it's actually really similar in a way to bao yeah oh bao. yeah chinese but, pork buns yeah exactly but bao has a soft dough as uh, where i love pasties so are they're glazed so that the dough becomes hard um, they're really, really good. It's really good. I've always thought to pack some for things like hikes and stuff. And I know that some people will be like, oh, got smushed. And I was like, not if you pack your backpack right. Right. Um, but just because they're hearty and it's enough. There was a lot of hearty food that's from up here because of the work that was up here at the time. Like Butte is a, was a huge mining town at the time. And that was brought over from a lot of Irish heritage. And so... See, that's like kind of how um, in Nebraska we have, you know, the fast food chain Runza. Mm -hmm. Those are, uh, I think they're kolaches uh, originally, like they're Czech, because there's a huge Czech population population. in Nebraska. And um, uh, there's another one, too, uh, from Eastern Europe. I don't remember. But either way, I mean, historically, like in the 19th century, a lot of Czechoslovakians emigrated to nebraska and so there's like a czech festival in uh i think it's i have shit i think it's strasburg i think i have that wrong though but i mean like it's a huge cultural it was like kind of a wave in nebraska and it's kind yeah. of funny we have fast food that is popular with everybody and it's based on a dumpling kind of or like a filled bun and exactly i like yeah thing up here i love with- that that's a that's like across cultures because everyone knows it's it's an easy way to package food that's the thing is it's about packaging the food you need the meal but you need to not let it get damaged or gross or Mm -hmm. you know messed with throughout the day so what better way to do that than package it in bread take it down into the mine you know for us up here in montana for instance samosas Um, in india that's kind of but i'd say version there even (laughs) even more so we mentioned it like when i mentioned the general merc you very vividly remembered 
visiting there. Or I know I've taken you to the Avon Cafe, which is a small cafe. Okay. Best meatloaf and mashed potatoes I've ever fucking had (laughs) was at the Avon Cafe. I are they I hope they're still open. They are. They're still Okay, good. Um different owners than when you were here the last time, but people don't want those businesses to die. Yeah. Um and what's really interesting though, because even the general Merck is not owned by the same person that owned it the last time you were here. Mm. There's now transitioned to new owners and but they're doing a lot of the same traditional things it's very interesting i'd say one of the things that montana does more so than anywhere else that i've lived is that it's the place itself that is something that means something like Mm -hmm. i go down to the no sweat cafe down here and that has been a family business since the 1980s is that the sandwich shop you took me to no that's stefano's okay that's across from the bookstore yes okay the no sweat go ahead the no sweat cafe is um they do like very i think the idea when it was first started was this like bohemian kind of feel it's all like dishes that they've named themselves and they cook them all on like it's either like potato skillets or potato hashes or like vegetable hashes or like egg scrambles damn i need to go there oh it's I go. How have I, I mean, not been there? <laughs> I go pretty much now every Saturday or Sunday morning because I live downtown now. Sure. And so I'm so close, and I'm good friends with the owner. And but it, you know, his mother owned it before him. Mm-hmm. But it stayed the same, and it's almost just comforting. You just you go there too, and they right now they only accept cash, mm-hmm. and you know that you're gonna have to wait 45 minutes for your food. So you don't go there when you're starving to death. You don't go there if you're not going to be able to stop and get cash. Right. But you just know. But people love it. And it's more so the place. Like, I like to go to the general market and just get a cup of tea and walk around and look at all the crazy stuff they have. Yeah, it's... I love that store because it's sort of like an adult's toy store in a way. Like, Because they have stuff for kids to do. I don't mean adult toy store <laughs> i don't mean a store like that we're not shopping at like you know uh spencer's or uh... god what's the one out here uh or what was the one in lincoln was it dr loves or was that am i making yeah, that dr up? loves isn't it and then, up here we have like adam and eve's what here. the hell is the one out here it's like a it's i don't know it's i think it's like pirate something it's got a weird name anyway the merc is like you know you've got stuff for kids to do there's like toys you can get for them and you know like candy there's like a candy section i think yep. right and mm-hmm. there's yep. like a whole wall of just like trinkety things and it's very like a general kind of like go get stuff store. i call it like a present store like if i had no idea what to get someone for a gift that is like my last resort i i know i'll find something there type no, of place. and that is that the merc is known for that and then they also have like you know little private booths in the back mm-hmm. and then booths where you're sitting close to other people that might be in different parties too mm-hmm. it's just a good spot to go and spend time where people are encouraged to go spend time with each other like look at weird trinkets but yeah it is it is one of those stores where I know I went and I was looking for a gift last minute, but they were doing some remodel, just taking advantage of some of this downtime. Sure. Um, And I went to go get a gift 
and they were like closed for remodel open January or open February 2nd or something. And I was like, excuse me, I've gone everywhere else. This is where I go when I've gone everywhere else. But it's great. There's so many of those places here though, that you just remember somebody took their time and put the same effort. We were talking about like, when family makes you something special for you, mm-hmm. it, it still feels that way when I go to the No Sweat Cafe. And, you know, it is a friend of mine that's cooking back there, but it has always felt that way. That right. somebody was cooking that meal especially for me. Or somebody was making that cup of tea especially for me. Or we have the uh, the ice cream place down here, or the Big Dipper. Oh, oh I miss that. I love and they that make place. Their, yeah. And they make their own ice cream, too, which milkshakes are one of my kryptonites. So this is a dangerous Ooh. thing for me to have. And it's just so good. But, like, you can tell that the ice cream is just made there there's just a lot of homemade and i'm very lucky to live in a place that's like i love that about helena and i i've been god dylan and i were so ready to come visit you we were talking about it and then you know the whole world exploded and he'll see it someday i love helena because it's the tail end of the rocky mountains in that region Mm -hmm. so you kind of see the dwindling so I always thought that was a really cool geographic feature of Helena. Well, and it's beautiful. I mean, there's a mountain in the middle of my hometown where I've which where I I've live. I've summited before. That was like the one mountain I've ever climbed to the top to. I have a picture of like a very yo- much younger, less hairy me on top of the <laughs> on top of Mount oh. Helena. Yeah, and then getting and down I mean, was terrifying. <laughs> getting down well, was like ah. I think I took you guys down power line, which I shouldn't have done. That that was a mean. We thing made it, but I mean, well, get, but it's all shale, and it just like it's steep as heck. That's like that was mean. I, I think it was because we were kind of like running out of time, and you were like, we kind of got to get down, and so we're gonna have to go through the like the oh, faster yeah, but rougher one. You guys came up because I was in all shook up at the time. I was in a yes, show. Yes, you were in so all we shook like up. Had to get back. So Richard and I drove from Lincoln. First, that was a that was like a saga of a vacation for us because we drove to Kansas City the week before to see Kirk in Susicult. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we drove back to Lincoln and then we drove out to Montana. And we were in Montana, I think, for like almost a week. We were there for a while, at you least five days. But either well, yeah, way, you stayed at my folks' place. Yes, and I remember that drive was so, like, <laughs> I don't know that that was a part of me and Richard's relationship. I look on so fondly because we know we can travel together. That trip was the confirmation that he and I were able to do that. But I remember that trip so vividly. Like, there's a candy shop and like that kind of like boardwalk plaza and you can buy what did i what do i always buy there uh uh oh god well they have they have turkish delight that's what i that's what i get turkish delight they're the it's like the only place i'll ever buy it and it's made by hand it's because it's made in the back like everything's uh, in a glass candy shop is called the parrot and they make their they make their own chocolate too so the chocolate that you get there specifically uh, is made i know right and there. i couldn't bring any back the last time i was there because it melted when we did the dry i'm like i'm not risking this on a plane like you know <laughs> but that no i mean I, the moral of the story is when you come to montana there's going to be stuff that you get for the move to montana a, is that the moral <laughs> yeah that is always the moral i try to convince everybody to move up here um 
the brew house, which is another great restaurant here, um, which is like pub food and bar yeah. food, um, and affordable, which mm-hmm. is great. But they they do a special batter for their onion rings. It's a coconut based batter, and they have coconut shavings in it, and it is just addictive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think I've had that before. Yeah, I make sure to take people. I think the first time I went there to my no, no, it was the second time because I remember it was just me and you, but. I had been waiting to try that because I didn't get to try it on the first go. And yeah, no, God. And it always amazes me too how food can be so unbelievably good no matter where you go. You know, as long right. as you keep an open mind and try what people put in front of you. And, you know, oh God. my God. And that's, you know, one of the th- reasons I love and dearly miss traveling. And I mean, I know you, you know, I'd love to take a trip with you too. I think that'd be so oh, much fun. We'd have such a blast. Like just like a guy's trip. I mean, I say guy's trip and then I'm like the gayest one <laughs> proposing that. But no, I mean, and like Dylan and I really want to do a Route 66 trip eventually. Like oh, do the entire, cause it starts here and it takes you all the way to Los Angeles. So it's like, I'd love to see the shift of Southern Midwest to like southwestern united states Mm -hmm. and how the food culture really shifts there and you know what made route 66 sort of famous in its own foodie way i don't know there's so many places that you know i i would well and you'll find those genius little places that are on the side of the road that Mm -hmm. have some of the best food that you've ever cooked oh Um, man or that you've ever eaten yeah people will cook some of the best food that you've ever eaten for sure uh i know another thing that i had you try up here and I thought I was going to starve for like things that were like Montana based when I saw that question. And I really, there's a, there's a wealth of them. The staggering ox. It's the, it's the specialty sandwich place where they make, they bake the bread inside of like essentially very large soup cans. And then they, yeah. It out. Oh, I forgot so about that stuffed, place. Everything's stuffed inside of there. And you can even buy the, they call them bread guts. You can buy the bread guts and eat those separately. And they've got tons of different combinations and tons of breads that they make there themselves. And it's just so good. I'm trying to There's one, I think, in Seattle, too, now. Man, that place, I, I, now that you say it, it's, like, all coming back. I remember going there because you're like, we're going to have these sandwiches and they're shaped like a can. And we were like, okay. We had just gotten ice blocking, which is another Montanan (laughs) tradition, apparently. That I was new to. I never knew ice came in blocks before that point in my life. But hey, you just take a big ice block and go down a big old hill. <laughs> it's true. It's summertime sledding is what it is. It keeps you cool and you get to go sledding. I have summer. a great picture bag. of me holding a bag of the ice. Because I, I didn't believe you at first. I'm like, ice doesn't come in blocks, Brandon. What are you in? Like the 18th century? Like, is it getting shipped from Antarctica? Like, and then we go to like the local like gas station and there it is. And I'm like, well, I'll be. <laughs> but anyway, so we'd gone ice blocking and then we went to this place and I had, God, mine was like sort of a, uh, I remember I had like a slaw inside of it that I really liked. And I'm sure their menus probably changed or they've added different no, stuff. Almost really? Much if, a sandwich, if a sandwich is popular, it pretty much stays. It was really and good. They try stuff out. Yeah. Because their, their classic is called the nuke. And it's really right. just like a turkey sandwich. 
And I don't remember. And it was and you had told me to try this one when it was on the menu. I think you tried it before, and I was really apprehensive because I usually hate coleslaw. But you're like, no, you. It's not like mayonnaise coleslaw. Like it's actually like good. And, you know, it was. And I, I remember that was kind of the first time I really kind of experienced those textures in a sandwich because I, I just leave it out otherwise. Right. And it's very interesting, though. Oh, it's so oh, good. Damn. It's one of my, I, especially, you know, because you can call in and order it and then just go pick it up yeah. and leave. And even now, of course, you could do that. You could always do that, though. Um, so good to do while I was like on my way to rehearsals or if I had professional stuff or I could go buy like five sandwiches and then take them if I was shooting somewhere else, like out in the woods or something. You know? <laughs> that just reminds um, me of in college. You know, I was always the professor's pet. So I was the one that was like in the theater building at oddest hours and a professor would still be there and be like, do you want to go get me Jimmy John's? I'd be like, Yeah. So I'd get a professor's credit card and go buy Jimmy John. I was just that student. And like, this is what this reminds me of. It's like these little teeny places. I mean, Jimmy John's is like a huge national chain, but that we don't agree with. They don't like queers. But I'm like, you know, at the same time, it's just so funny that, you know, we have our places at that time. And, you know, and. I always love we kind of remembering like, oh, I used to go there because there's an Amigos by Wesleyan, like literally yes, by Wesleyan. Right by Wesleyan. My good God. The amount of just raging diarrhea I've gotten from that Amigos is just so life changing. And, you know, well, you how many of those theater kids because it would be open late at night. Oh, my God. The worst I was like think... call the next morning and you're still kind of sick from it. <laughs> you're like, I ain't like six cheesy beef burritos. <laughs> I went to Delone's. That Daily Owns is closed now. Oh, it is? Yeah. Finally, like, just got shut down. A lot of them closed. My brother's like, they've kind of like closed up a lot. And I'm like, well, That's you know. Probably for the better part of everybody my brother and i would gorge on daily owns when i first moved away and i would come back to visit miles miles hadn't wasn't able to drive yet but we would he's like hey you want to go get daily owns so we get daily owns like two out of the four nights i was there (laughs) it's like i don't think my stomach can do this anymore but yeah no the other staple that's up here is our one restaurant that's like 24 hours which I know that we went to as well after the show, which is Shelley's. Ooh. It's the cafe that's, you know, and it's just like normal cafe food, but they're actually open 24 hours. And there's Does it have one... a lot of like wood paneling on the inside? It did when you were here. It moved locations technically, but it's still the same owners, same people that have worked there forever. Yes. Um, I remember when I got there, I got a bacon double cheeseburger with mayonnaise and and ketchup and fries because you i was like i just want a burger and love like and, and you were like, like this is the place to get one i always yeah. remember a good and, burger and that was a damn it's always good just comforting burger because it's also one of the only things in helena that like i said usually everything's closing at like sure five. sure even you know restaurants will be done serving by nine or ten and which you know it stinks in ways but in other ways too We've mentioned so many places just within my local yeah. area yeah. that are uniquely owned by like people like locally mm-hmm. owned. And so all of their stuff is unique. Like if nobody's gonna be able to try these things out there in Chicago, they have to come here. Right. Which is cool to me. <clears throat> yeah, and um, it's it's this I mean, God, there's so much here that 
I remember who did I make you know. try? There's a there's a soda drink that we have up here, phosphates, which is like soda flavoring, soda water flavoring, and they either use malt or wine mm-hmm. to make it. And I think I made Richard have one. I don't recall I this growing up. So maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was somebody else that came up and visited. Maybe I made Jackson have one when he was up here. Um, but it's an interesting drink. If, if phosphates, you can get them if there's soda shops. You can get them at soda shops. They're very interesting. They're more sour. They're tangy. Sure. And I, love, I love sour stuff. I, sour I, food. I like sauerkraut and slaw and all that. I've come to love like Asian sourness. Among mm. a lot of things. I used to never eat sour, savory food. And then I started making hot and sour soup for Dylan. And it be- if I make it like, you know, I'm getting a blowjob that night. But he like <laughs> cutting that one too. <laughs> but like, it's his favorite. It's not really my favorite, but I do love that sort of like intensity of like sourness. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I feel like that kind of gets ignored once you're out of the candy phase people kind of right. ignore sour as a flavor and i think it's, it, it's so it's valuable good. and it, it it's such an interesting it's adds such an interesting twist i think as an adult because you never expect something to be sour and it, well and like you said it's much more prevalent in asian food yeah lots of limes um, tons and tons of limes limes up the just, wazoo because it, it's an element that's in Thai food too, and but it creates such a layer for food, mm-hmm. like because it's not like it's sour the whole time. There's like a saltiness, and then there's a sourness, and it's, then there's this. I'm thinking of sweet and sour soup. Sure, sure. Now, but with hot and sour, I like how sourness can introduce heat into a dish because mm-hmm. heat and sour sort of start in the same burn zone. In a way, like it kind of this, it gets you salivating in the same way, but then you get kind of the soaringness that comes with the hot, and that to me is such a such a great flavor combo that I discovered really only maybe like a couple years, maybe three years ago. Like I'd never had that, and especially you know Japanese food, sourness is sort of like reserved for things mm. most everything is focused on umami and freshness and crunch. Like there's a lot of textural attitude with Japanese food and sourness kind of only comes, I think with like fermented and I was never like a big fermented guy. So, which of course, like within Chinese history, um, so many rural areas are areas where they have to travel with things. So fermenting was a way of preserving. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, And in Korean food as well, there's a lot of that sour, Layer probably even there. Well, not probably even more so. Yeah, than like Chinese food because you start to think of kimchi and things like that. I do like kimchi, which is I was gonna say I also like kimchi. I know a lot of people that do not, but I am uh, I am a big sour. You and I person. actually, I, like I remember us eating kimchi together at one point mm-hmm. because like you had had some in your fridge and I was like, oh my god, you like kimchi? I was like, I don't know any white person that likes kimchi. Well, because it was Yukari and myself that liked right. some of the odd Asian foods. Uh, yeah. Because like, we would also, she and I would also just have pickled ginger. God damn, hand. that woman could cook. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Huh. I remember telling my mom about it, and she was fascinated that I had a Japanese, like a half Japanese mother. 
who didn't cook the food she was cooking. I'm like, oh no, my mom can't cook like this. You know, she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> uh, we get a California roll in a, in a, every now and again, but or you know, my mom can make dumplings really well, like fried dumplings or steamed dumplings. When her and Dina put their mind to it, they become like, you know. Asian cook ladies, but it's so rare that that ever happens. And I'm like, please do this again before you're too old to remember anything. Like, you know, like, but yeah, anyway, sorry, we were talking about like sourness and like the, the interesting flavors that come with Asian food and stuff like that. I, yeah, I, I've always, well, I've had to grow accustomed to it. Yeah. yeah. Being exploratory with your food. I think it's just so interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, it obviously food is food kind of is a language for a culture, right? Like totally. as a whole, like totally. we talked a little bit about cultural and social impacts that food have. Um, Cause I, again, was thinking about beer just because we have so many people that brew beer and make mead up here as well. Oh, I um, love I, mead. It's so, um, it's so sweet. Tons of it. Maybe if I get a package together, I'll just lie to the post office and say that there's no liquids or whatever, and I'll just <laughs> mail you guys some of... Uh, I have a good friend up here that actually raises his own bees so that he can harvest their honey and then makes his own mead out of the honey from his own bees. I would I would like... I would only be afraid because our post office here sucks. They're trying to get the postmaster of Chicago fired right now. Like... The half the South Side hasn't gotten mail in like a month. You know, it's bad. So I would be like, I'd love that, but yeah, don't don't mail anything to Chicago right now. <laughs> like it's it's pretty bad. Maybe it's one of those things where because I can always put it in a check bag too if I come down. Doesn't FedEx um, do food? It's, there's got to be one of those FedEx that does will. food. I think FedEx. I think FedEx might. One of them are UPS. Hell, I'll pay the, the shipping if it's like. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'll send a, I'll send a Montana care package. Please, oh my God, you guys can huckleberry I, syrup. I all I ask one... for is huckleberry syrup. That's all I'm gonna ask personally ask for. <laughs> uh, I should, if I could, I've got some ice, extra ice packs. I should just send huckleberry ice cream too. I could send you a, um, I could get you a deep dish frozen from Giordano's and overnight it to you. Do it, send it, and I will be the fat kid that I am on the inside, and I will just eat it by We myself. should do this. We should do some kind of, like, you know, like, I'll mail you Chicago foods, you mail me Montana foods, or, like, recipes of, I don't know. I, I'd love that. I, I wish that that was, like, kind of a thing where, like, you could try foods from around the country through, like, a subscription service or, like, Something like that. I know that'd be like, it, it gets so ridiculously expensive and out of the world, but I'd love to try. I wish there was something that kind of allowed you to at least get a taste of things. It would be interesting. And, and you know, I think we want for it even more right now because we have the lack of travel. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like, I can't, I can't. Even if I take a week off from work, which I'm fully capable of doing, like, am I really going to travel to Chicago and have the Chicago experience? The answer is no. I could travel to Chicago, but then I'm just going to wind up in apartments and things like I am up here. Yeah, for the most part. it's tough. It uh, is tough. And it, I mean, I've <laughs> I've sometimes told like <laughs> um, like my with Dylan, I've told like we shouldn't tell my parents we're coming so I can just show you Lincoln or like go drive wherever and we don't have to deal with them yet. 
Like we'll tell them that we're there, but we'll just fib and say we're we're coming a day later than when we're actually there. I say this now, and now every time I come home, my mom's gonna like give me your confirmations, so I know you're not lying. <laughs> but like you know, it's sometimes I think it'd be interesting to just like you know go and explore places that you don't have to have commitments the whole time you know like because it'd be tough with you coming to chicago i can already think of five or six people that are going to want to either meet you or see you so it's tough because like now i think about it's like well my producer friends are probably going to want to like meet this guy (laughs) you know like and we've never even talked about how you're sort of the kickoff of why i became a singer so like that's a whole other boat of conversation it's a different podcast totally i'll start a music one when at some point but no like it's but at the same time i know what you mean it's tough to go like if i go to new york it's tough to not see people because i feel bad but it's like i want to do all this other stuff too you know and experience my own sometimes that's why you got to go places that you don't have people that you know i i mean when i moved to san francisco i knew nobody i met those roommates on the internet the sketchy internet of 2007 and I went and lived with them, you know, but I meant that I got to explore the city, meet entire new people completely on my own, which was very interesting. And I, I wouldn't suggest it for everybody. Some people need to like have a travel companion or somebody there at the destination to show them things, but explore. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's such a fun and interesting experience. I know that I discovered a town not i didn't discover it i did not found this town but buffalo wyoming of all places is an oddly comforting place for me to go to because i would always stop there on the drive between helena and lincoln when i was going to school or when i was Mm. living in lincoln after school so it just became a very much like i stay at this one place when i go here i go eat at this one pub saloon place whenever i'm there and I get, you know, like their fried mushrooms because they're really good. And I get a burger with it and I have a local beer and I then walk back to my hotel because it's within walking right, distance. Right, right. Buffalo, Wyoming, of all places. And, um, but it's oddly comforting to get to discover those things yeah. like that. And you don't know if you don't try. Exactly. And that's one thing that, you know, I, when I travel, I really try to keep an open mind of like, there's so much to do. You know, there, I mean, Dylan and I did a, a day trip in Boston. Um, I got a couple years ago now. We visited his family and there was a day where like his sisters were busy or something. His mom had to work. His dad had to work. So we were like, well, let's just go to Boston for a day. You know, we can take the train back. So we, we, we went and you know we had such a good time because like we (laughs) we got like you know we started in chinatown and we were hungry so we got like kind of some snacky food there and went to a grocery store and you know wound our way through the bigger parts of boston and had like lunch at quincy hall which is just this huge like restaurant store hall thing it's you know full of people and I loved that. That's probably like, you know, that was the re- that was when the- Dylan and I realized we could travel together. And that's like, you know, that's a huge realization moment, too, especially when it's like, you know, the love of your life. It's like, dear God, thank God I can travel with you. <laughs> That'd be terrible if I couldn't. 
But like, oh, you know, no. we would just kind of do whatever. We'd wander in somewhere and be like, yeah, let's just, you know, we're here. Why not? And I always try to keep that in mind if I go to someplace new. And sometimes it's kind of overwhelming because Germany, I mean, despite the fact that it got cut short. And it's so crazy to talk about because a year ago I was getting ready to take that trip. We left on the 9th of March last year and we came back on the mm, 14th 15th no the 16th or 17th i can't remember now it's like i haven't lived since then and it's so strange i feel like this whole pandemic has caused travel everything i wanted to do it's just like the daylight savings time setting your clock back but we lost a year instead of an hour and you know but anyway going to another country it's overwhelming because there's so much to look at and so much that it's like we don't even have you know cheese was one thing because everything is unpasteurized there so you actually get legitimate real cheese and you know but i can't make richard spend all day in a stinky cheese shop with me you know i can't force him through that you know like so but i i love i love and miss that about you know just and i encourage that for anyone listening too it's like just do what you want, you know, if you're, if you're well, out and about. And, yeah. And I think about it too, like explore, we get in habits where we like go the same places and then we order the same things and we do the same stuff all the time, the routines and they're comfortable. And I am one too, that I do like routine. Sure. I me too. Like knowing what I'm doing, of course. And, but that was something that I started within the last year, I think to kind of get that, feeling of exploration was exploring ordering new things from places that i already love right where i would be usually content to just order the same thing and i'm like you know what no today i'm gonna order this thing because i don't even know what that is for everyone listening Why not? and i brandon did like the cutest thing there he's like you know what no and it was like probably the the you're like one fabulous gay moment of this recording <laughs> That's that. It's just super cute. I'm sorry. There was a lot of energy there. Um, I just, I I'm lucky in the way that I don't have any food allergies. Right. So I know that people get limited by those. Me, I don't have um, any either, and I kind I kind of count my stars for that one a little bit because it's exactly, got to be hard. Because I can, I can go into a, a restaurant and just be like. You know, that sounds good. I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about what it's made with. Yeah. I had a, uh, a gentleman living with me for a little while during the pandemic while he was finding a place um, who does have celiacs. Right. So he can't have, he legitimately cannot have gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually learning to do like meals together was learning how to, it's almost like learning a little bit of a different language, like having to speak a little bit mm-hmm. differently in order, learning the way that someone's communicating because we couldn't, we wanted him to be included in like dinners if we were yeah. having dinner all together, but we don't want to be like, well, you get to have most of what we're having. You just don't get to have this. See, I face kind of a similar uh, feeling, you know, with um, Richard's girlfriend, Sarah. Um, I mean, she's vegetarian and that's a very, I mean, not so much now, but I think when I first met her, which was, well, well like maybe five years, well, more than five years ago, I was so like, what does that even mean? You know, and just from going out and having, well, luckily I had vegan friends here 
you know, like Christina and um, Sydney Kading or Sydney Spear now she's married and, and her husband, Chris. I mean, they were vegan and I would go to their, you know, every now and again, we get to try everything they cooked was vegan and it was all so good. And Christina would take me to vegan places to eat and it was so good. You know, so just getting out of the stigma of this, you know, this isn't meat. I shouldn't eat it. You know, like why, you know, or like the idea that it's like plant food. Well, it's really not like it's legit. And it's delicious. And it's there's delicious varieties. And it's incredible just because, you know, it isn't even necessarily like, you know, by eating in a vegan restaurant and not being vegan, I don't feel like I'm offending anybody because to me, it's like there are cultures that don't eat meat, but that doesn't discount the way they eat their food or what they eat. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's sort of like, I view it all as just, you know, a different genre of food to explore. And so like, um, with Sarah, I always try to now, like before where I would have not known how to really maneuver serving food to a vegetarian, you know, thanks to her too, kind of like showing me what she likes and stuff and recommending books. There's like ways to serve food that includes everyone. And, you know, like if she doesn't eat meat, I may, I always, I always make curry for them for some reason, because it's totally vegetarian. And so you can literally bake the chicken and then just leave the chicken on the side. And if people want it, they can take it, you know, but that would have never occurred to me before. So I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I totally get when you have someone presenting new elements of, you know, their life to you, that means they can't eat certain things. You know, I take it as an educational experience because I'm like, well, you know, who am I to lambast this of them, you know, or feel like they can't be included. And especially with people with celiacs, I mean, that is a whole other well, it's, you know, it's, it's a literal, they have an aversion yeah. to a food. They can't have it. And I just yeah. think about one of the things that I think we had talked about food shaming a little earlier, mm-hmm. and it goes the other way, too. When people make certain dietary choices like that to be vegetarian or to be vegan or to just have dietary restrictions in general, sure. limit certain things. Um, I know I'm gearing up to do some filming of some short films, and I have to be very physical and very active. Um, I have to wear you know, very specific clothing that's going to show a little bit more of my body that I'm, that I walk around like. I'm really excited for this now. (laughs) But I'm, um, I'm being more cognizant and I'm not like killing myself or dropping to like 7% body fat or anything, but it means like, like I said, I like, I like beer. I do like consuming cocktails and things, but I've like now limited it to one day a week. Mm. So rather than having like a beer with dinner or something, it'll be like, well, on Friday or Saturday night when I can have like a get together with some of my friends that I either do projects with gearing up for this project with or whatever, I can have a couple beers. Right. I can have a few cocktails. That way I don't have to like try to string it out and not actually enjoy it throughout the week. Yeah. But when I, when like, for instance, I'm choosing to do that for a role that I'm taking on. Right. So, but when I'm doing that, I'm not judging anybody else that I'm sitting at dinner with that's having a glass of wine. Of course I'm not. Yeah. Why would I? So we have to be accepting on the other end of that, that when we are not restricting ourselves, but somebody else has to for a very specific reason. Yeah. I know people that have chosen not to drink in their life because they have alcoholism in their family. Me. And I would... Me. I mean, I've pretty much... I'll have a drink maybe once every four months. 
that's where I've gone on alcohol now. And but you know, I would never not invite you to come down if you were up here. I would probably still take you to some of the breweries. That and I'd probably try not. it because it's I like beer. Well, it's just I have to I have to be cognizant of alcoholism runs in my family and I can't get all willy nilly with it. I have to kind of be selective and but if you were choosing not to i'd still take you there because there's there's other options there's other things we can do of course if there's food there but it's like well just take me for the damn food you know like but But it's like i don't think that you're judging me for choosing to do something that i yeah 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 it's it's i just think it's being supportive so by learning to separate out chicken when you're making curry so that your vegetarian friend can just be presented the same options as everybody else that's good though you're supporting a choice you're and i just i think people need to be more accepting of that just because somebody else is choosing to restrict themselves of something Mm -hmm. if it's in a healthy way and it is a, a choice for them or a lifestyle choice um and it or it's to accomplish a goal that they need to accomplish in the short term mm-hmm. for something they're not judging you for being able to do it most likely your friend loves you more than you love you yeah that's something that i've learned over oh over that's again. a like, life lesson you know yeah. we, we give so much more caring and understanding to others than we do to ourselves and so i think that when it starts to become a thing where you start to look inward and judge yourself for the choices you're making because somebody else is making a different choice if we could just remind ourselves they're not the one that's putting that judgment on us. We are putting that judgment. Yeah. On and you know, for me, it's, it, it's always been a, a struggle, I think to not take weight and food judgment, all that kind of stuff just to myself. It's hard to not take it personally because it's a weird balance when it is such a, uh, it's more than a hobby. I mean, it, it's a, it's such a fulfillment side of me. I mean, if I'm in a bad mood, I usually make pasta sauce or something. I'll cook. I I'll str- I don't I, I don't stress bake anymore. I've I've now taught myself out of stress baking. Unfortunately, now it's stress pasta. So it's like you know it's like stress <laughs> Italian food, stress cheesy eating. But like you know, it, at the same time, it's it, it's a part of my life that I go to for comfort. And it's hard when you know, for anyone who identifies food as comfort you know for someone to judge what they eat why they eat that way what they enjoy you know and i think we're moving into a much more globalized understanding world of you know just even reading literature about food or not like well not literature like nonfiction about food history and studies the world is becoming so much more uh welcoming of different food which amazes me to no end because it still doesn't end racism and i'll never understand that and to me food food can do it all but i'll never get why it can't do that and i guess like but it's so interesting to hear you know like people discovering food and still these nations struggle to exist these people struggle but they're being you know their food is being glorified on magazine covers and recipe books and food network i mean that's just that's a social <laughs> conundrum that i've always yeah, been fascinated with. A... and i don't know where i went from there but like you know it's just you know food is is so uniting i guess i guess you know and well, it's that's own what way. i view as i i don't know about you i like to try I mean, there's a reason that, like, you know, you came up and visited 
Helena for the first time, and I had a checklist of places that I wanted you and Richard to go and eat. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. There, And I love, I mean, one of the genuine joys of my life is like, I love watching people do things that they love. But that also means like, if people have specific places that they love to eat, when I visit, if people have specific recipes that they like, I really like trying them. Like I was really fortunate, I guess, when I was living in Lincoln and it wasn't always feasible. The The trip, by the way, for anybody that's listening that doesn't realize how far Lincoln, Nebraska and Helena, Montana are away from each other. It is a 19 hour drive. It's a 19 scenic hour, 19 hour <laughs> scenic drive because you drive through the Bighorn yeah. Mountains. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's long and so it wasn't always feasible especially in the winter time because winters can get so harsh through wyoming and into montana to come home for holidays it wasn't always fiscally feasible it wasn't always physically feasible to make yeah drive or to take a plane and so i would get to spend a lot of holidays during college and such like specific ones like sometimes thanksgiving or like little ones like easter and stuff in the spring I have some very vivid memories trying some food at Richard's house around the Easter season. Um, I wonder if I was there. It was that time that I pushed Kirk over while we were doing an Easter egg hunt because we were all like 21, 22 year olds. Was the Easter egg hunt in Richard's backyard? Yeah, I was was there. Um, I was there. But I just, I remember people would make, they'd be like, oh, I can't wait to do, to have this thing that my mom always makes. At Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and they tell me about it on the car ride there, and then I would get very excited to try that very specific thing yeah. too. It's just very because I don't know, like I like getting close to people, and that is one other aspect of getting close to them is trying the foods that they like. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I went through that especially when I first moved here, and I was with the guys. Um. So like Nick, Derek, Matt, Aaron. And, you know, these were strangers to me. I mean, I knew Aaron, of course, but Aaron had, you know, Allie and he was, they were long distance so that, you know, he worked a lot. So his time was sort of taken and, you know, he did his best. I mean, to be there for me if I was kind of feeling out of place, but the way I did, I rectified that I fixed that was cooking. I'm like, well, I don't know these three other guys, but I know I can cook and I know that that to me is if I share what I know about food that I've been taught from my grandparents and the people who've taught me, hopefully I can impart some kind of friendship through that onto them. And it worked. I mean, they, they'll always say like, we liked you. I'm like, mm, see, no, that ruins my story because I like to say it was the food, but you know, like, <laughs> but like, you know, at the same time, that was what I knew. That was the immediate, um, sort of like knee jerk. I don't know you, but I'm going to cook you an apple pie. Cause I know everyone likes it and I know mine's good. So like, you know, it's just kind of like those things like this is my security and this is my, if I don't know what to do, you know, let's just cook, (laughs) you know, like that's. Well, and we all have those, we all have those aspects to ourselves. And I, I, you know, 
I think that that's great that one of the ways that you do that and show that caring for people is through cooking for them and having those gatherings. I always think that that's so special, the things that you can do to care for other people. For instance, you know, like I'm a, I'm a fix it person. Sure. I like to fix things or like, I don't mind doing repair or doing woodwork. So that's something like, I don't care about going over to a friend's house and like fixing a chair. Or, you know, I worked for a moving company for two years and even just literally yesterday, um, I have a long, lifelong friend um, whose father was moving into a house so that he didn't have to have stairs. Mm. And she was like, I know this is super last minute. Would you mind? We've got some furniture pieces and I just am not sure how to handle them or get them in and out of where they are. And I was like, absolutely. Let's go do it. I'll pick up your friend. I can... I was like, give me two hours. We'll have him out of the old place into the new place. But it's a way that you can care for people. Mm -hmm. I, I, for instance, am one that, um, though I do cook, my cooking skills are, I won't say simplistic. I can follow a recipe if you give me a recipe, but I'm not a mad genius in the kitchen by any means. Sure. I'm not a huge experimenter. Sure. Um, Who is? But, <laughs> you know, but when somebody, I still follow <laughs> recipes. You know, that's my chefs jumping off like Yukari, oh Yukari damn chefs like genius. chef uh <laughs> chef courtney my chef from the restaurant my god his spice knowledge was like encyclopedic and you know you'd say i have this in my fridge i don't know what to cook and he'd be like well this goes with this you could do this if you have some of this and to me i'm like see i can't do this kind of shit i just see things i think smell or look good and i'm like all right google it you know like and then i'll add and write my own but yeah, no, it's, I get that. I mean, I think everyone is, we all start in that place of, you know, we can do what we can and we, you know, we should be proud of that. It's, it's not anything to, you know, people can cook better than other people. People, it also takes time. Cooking is, you know, it's tough, especially too, when someone such as yourself who produces and works full time and has you know theater and you you know like you said you you're you're the guy that people call and that sometimes doesn't always leave a lot of time to learn how to cook mm -mm. and but that oftentimes has led to other people making me meals fixing food or getting me mm -hmm. food and to me that's always such a warm gesture someone went out of their way to make what Ever they were having and made two right or you know made enough that somebody else could share it and i don't know that always has been i've been i've been trying to do that during this pandemic now that you say that i testing all these recipes for this podcast i end up with so much food that dylan and i are never going to eat so i we have like a group chat here of the bad friends and I'm always like, hey, I've got half a meatloaf in the fridge. Whoever replies first gets it. You know, like, I love that, though, because in a way it makes me feel like they're still getting me. You know? Yeah. Well, and having that extra food for things like lunches and stuff, too, where so many people, you know, you do have confined time for that if you are working mm -hmm. full time. Um where you either have to pack it or you have to run home super fast and eat something and make sure that you get back to work. Yeah. Um, and so having some of those things ready or just the, I don't know the relief that it is to know that you might not have to cook something for yourself as an adult 
is a gift that I never knew that I wanted more. You know, that's so funny. I'm the same way. I mean, I get tired of cooking sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's... It gets exhausting. And it's, you know, Dylan and I do our best to, like, try to make food. During the pandemic, we've really tried to, like, if we notice we're buying a lot of frozen something, we'll try to make it homemade and then freeze it. So that way we know it's better for us and stuff like that. So, like, meatballs is a big one. Dylan was buying a lot of, like, frozen meatballs. I'm like, I'm like you know, I could just make mine which are a million times better and freeze them and so like there's some days where i sort of like meal prep but it's like i'm making all the stuff that goes in the freezer and at the end i'm like my god i just want mcdonald's it's like i'm so <laughs> sick of being in this kitchen I'm so done. <laughs> no it's one of the it's one of the things that does go by the wayside with exhaustion is that that burnout on cooking meals and i mean i can only i am not a parent but i think about friends and things that are parents now and i'm like oh how exhausting much must this be and then i think about my own poor mother you know when i was Mm -hmm. a child cooking for me all the time and cooking for my brother all the time and it's like wow you know it just never ends but i again you appreciate the work that goes into it so much that it is it's that weird you know that you're an adult when, right? Like all of these things. Like you know you're an adult uh, when cleaning your floor makes you feel better. You, like, know, you know you're, you're an, an adult, adult when you try to. So I do dance to like work out to like not really get into mm-hmm. shape, but just to keep my heart beating. You know you're getting to be an elder <laughs> when you go to do moves you've done for years, practicing, knowing the choreography, and your knee just gives out gives out and you fall to the floor you fall to one knee almost hit your head on the coffee table and you know in the lit candle i'm an idiot and like you know like it's it's hard i mean i get what you're saying though it's like we are you get to understand more and more and more and it's i totally feel that especially with my parents you know just well, my, especially after my grandmother died and my grandfather on my mom's side died. So like once I lost the sort of like matriarch of dad's side, patriarch of mom's side, I began to understand a lot about who my parents are and who I am because of who they are. And, you know, the intrinsic things start to sort of become readable. And um, I, I, I try to keep you know, food especially is the way that I keep them, those people alive for me. And, you know, it's the way I keep the remembrance of how kind they were in their own ways and how food was their um, vehicle for inclusivity. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, I think it's incredibly important, you know, whatever that is to someone, you know, for me it's food, but to another person, you know, it could be like what you do, which is, being handy and being, you know, just the person to go to and, or, you know, there's so many ways people can do that. I think that's such an incredible thing, but you know, for me, food has, that has been the thing for me, I guess. Well, and it's, we got that introduced in the form of like my stepdad in my family where he loves to cook and he's very good at it. And then we did, (laughs) I he know, cracks he's me up. Hysterical. <laughs> um, like anytime I see him. But like he he's that same way where like that's his way of caring for people mm-hmm. is that that food, which so then it becomes part of like my being able to care for him by being there to then 
consume that food. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's wonderful in a lot of ways to be able to have those moments with people. Yeah. Learn your love languages. Love languages. Um, Mine is through cakes and pies. <laughs> and roast chicken. Roast chicken is probably the one thing I can cook in my sleep. And cheesecake and milkshakes. Dude, I should I should make you I make a bomb ass cheesecake. It's like Derek requested. So I make all the birthday cakes for the bad friends, the OG bad friends from like the beginning of this podcast. And it's so funny because like they are starting to get like intricate and I'm like I have a limit people you know like no Boston cream pies no you know like no custard filled thing no it's I I love that they asked me but it's so funny because like Aaron will ask me he's like he'll he'll send me the craziest shit on like TikTok or YouTube he's like I want this for my birthday and I'm like not in a million years you're getting a fucking what do I make for him I think he gets he doesn't like cake He's like, he's weird. He likes something else. I don't remember. Maybe mm, That's not good. I should know. He was my roommate for like three years. <laughs> I should know what his favorite cake is. We've talked a lot about a lot, you know, just. And the one thing, though, that I, I really want to ask you now, because you've talked about how you've sort of struggled before with cooking, not, or just, not or just food in general and like allowing yourself that kind of stuff. Um what kinds of food do you enjoy cooking today, you know, or now, or is there kind of a genre you're more prone to cooking? Cause like for me, it's Italian. I, I can always go to Italian food. Is there anything like that? For I you? will say I am big into, and it's probably some of the heritage stuff um, from the Irish heritage and the German mm-hmm. heritage that I have, but I have really gravitated towards um, meats like in general I've become very much like I'm very good I love hamburgers and they're very comforting to me so I will make hamburger dishes or I've become very very accustomed to making specific um, Asian foods as I studied Chinese throughout school and cooking was a big part of learning about the culture um, I make a lot of egg drop soup in the fall and I make oh, I love this, egg drop soup. this very I literally just call it vegetable stew, even though that seems like a contradiction. There's this vegetable stew that I make. So it's like heartier portions of vegetables and then some things like bok choy and some very um, Chinese root vegetables that I throw in there and some ginger, um, which I'll try to quantify the recipe. recipe yeah. And I can send that yeah, to you. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I love that, though, that it's like it exists in your mind. You know, that that tends to be the best food we make is the ones that's like, oh, I don't have a recipe for that. I just make it. <laughs> I just remember I just it. learning yeah. it at some point. Um, those are the things. So, like, there's a lot of meat. So, like, I, I love the summertime because that's kind of my time to shine when it's time for cooking because I can grill things. So, I guess grilling is probably sure. out there. Like, steaks, burgers, um, bratwurst are big out there but like i just have learned to really accentuate the flavors of meats hey i should have you i suck at grilling that's the one thing i'm not good at and it's so it always kind of is unexpected to people who don't know me they'll just assume i can do it and i'm like 
nope, I'm not good with fire. <laughs> One, too well, much like, hairspray I'm in my hair. B, I don't know when it's fucking done because it's like not roasting. Roasting is easy. No, it's not roasting. <laughs> I am not a baker, for instance. Like, and I, mm, it's that's just, what I do. I'm just not. I love it. And I'm not patient. Well, and I don't think I'm the most patient of a baker either because I am the one that's kind of like, I'm not making bread. I would much rather go buy bread from a bakery, you know, like, you know, and support the baker. (laughs) But for me, I love I love baking cakes and I love baking, Mm -hmm. you know, the holidays, especially my God. You know, it come to Dina's house. It's like cookies on one tray, brownies on another. Tray. And it's mostly because of um, her mother-in-law. She just bakes endlessly. But she's amazing, you know. But that to me is sort of where baking came into my life. And it was also, and you knew this, my parents relegated me. How dare they? No, I loved it. To dessert. That was my job. Yeah, and that was. I and, that. You know, I. it's kind of funny because very rarely do I indulge in making a dessert anymore if i do make a dessert i try to keep it as light and simple as possible um i know people are going to say that that's totally not true but that's because i'm bringing just a cake to those parties not a dinner but like you know it's it's one of those things where i've really gravitated away from it later in life because i've learned my love of savory things and so um Mm -hmm. but anyways uh trying to think what i was gonna go back to um Go ahead. Sorry, I don't know what you were. You go. You go ahead with whatever you were gonna say. <laughs> no, I was gonna say in that same way that you gravitated away from, like the heavy desserts and the intensive yeah. desserts. I think that's why I gravitated towards preparing meat because, in a healthy way, to have my more healthy relationship with food, making those meats and allowing that, I needed that protein to do what I needed sure. to do. But I also wanted it to be the tastiest yeah rather than like there's no reason to only eat bland right all the time it the more bland that it is it doesn't gain nutritional value that way it's not doing anything different i can season something and make it taste really really good and it's still the same healthy piece of meat that it was before i put some salt exactly now don't douse it See, in that's salt thing. to give myself a heart condition. Yeah, it's, and it's also about using, you know, different salt. So many people still use table salt. And it's like, that's really not good for you. You know, kosher salt is way less sodium. Like... I'm- I'm a big fan or of... sea salt. You know, Himalayan salt. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, salt. any kind of... Sea salt is a... Naturally occurring salt. Not chemically made, exactly. iodized salt. You know, like... And to me, you know, I've got a weird I, I don't like saying sensitive palate because it makes me sound pretentious but like i i can taste things for what they are and table salt to me is bitter it's it tastes like chemicals and it's like the only thing i'll eat it on is scrambled eggs and i don't i think that's just like a remembered flavor you know but when i yeah. cook i i salt appropriately but not crazily mm-hmm. i use kosher you also you know when you cook salt as you go because I think people don't realize yeah. that salt is a pretty important additive because one, your body could use a little bit to even it out. You know, salt is not bad for you in moderate amounts if you're using it while you cook. You're not just eating salt, you know, like it's because, right. you know, uh, that's it, I, I love salt. But the thing is, is that it's because it's what it does to food 
and it allows it to be mm-hmm. palatable. I mean, non-salted meat is like the worst to me. Like I, I'm like, how, you know, and I've actually gotten very, very tired of, um, restaurants that are trying to please everybody. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I like, I wouldn't say again, I don't want to say upper scale restaurants because that makes me sound but like chef driven, for instance. Yeah. Because I want to taste the way that you think this needs to yeah. taste. And that's what I want. I don't want you to give me a bland, you know, piece of ham or whatever mm-hmm. with my breakfast that is not seasoned the way that you think that it should taste. I don't want to season it myself. At yeah. The table. And that's one, that's one reason why I liked, you know, the restaurant I was at and, you know, Copper Fox Gastro Pub reopened, God willing. But like chef, I remember chef telling me once he's like, I went through 14 different brands before I found a brand of ham that I liked. And just his sheer dedication to that one thing on the menu. I mean, the amount of shit we bought for a restaurant. I mean, any restaurant buys all tons of stuff. But, you know, that's his dedication. He's like, I know that if I served cheap, shitty ham... Just, you know, even you saying ham just triggered the memory. But it's like, he's like, I know that people will be upset. I don't want people to be upset. He's like, I know that our people make the best eggs Benedict in this part of downtown. And I will have the best quality ham on the plate for that. You know, like, I totally get what you're saying. There are chefs out there. I mean, I think most all chefs have such a dedication to what they have, you know, sort of put together you know made is such an understatement to me you know made but like what they've created really in a flavor sense Mm -hmm. and i've said this before like chef was really good with sauces like creating things that could complement food you'd never expect to like the burger had like a horseradish sauce on it which just you know if you like horseradish and beef I mean, golden combo. And, you know, he'd put a sweet relish or something on a really, like, you know, spicy, some like, savory chicken sandwich. You know, I'm literally naming things that were on the menu. But, like, all this stuff that they made, it was there for a reason. And I always try to encourage yeah. people. It's like, no, really, please. Even if you get it on the side, just try it. Like, you know, because, you know, it's people have trained to make this and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to find. It's hard when restaurants aim to please, and it's you know anyone and everyone because it sort of you know takes away the. I think it just takes away the, the what that restaurant is. You know, exactly. It takes away. It starts to strip identity, and I would rather go to a place because of what that place mm-hmm. is. It's it's unfortunate, but you know, it's like if I don't like what your identity is, then I guess I won't be a customer. But there's gonna be a vast number of people that like whatever your food identity is if you're a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I love the Olive Garden. I know most people think that is like you know Satan's restaurant. <laughs> it's like I like it. I don't know. I mean, I worked there, but like, I don't know. The food's okay. I'll go there on a just on a whim if I want to. But like. I get what you're saying, though. I mean, it's 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 tough to I don't know. I guess I'm really privileged in Chicago. We have a lot of that. That's most of the restaurants here was. And so, you know, but going back to Lincoln, it's tough. It's like, oh, damn. You know, what do we want? It's all chains, you know, and stuff like that. Um, The last couple of things I wanted to um, ask um, 
I already asked that one. I already asked that one. You already covered that one. Oh, did you have, we've talked a lot about, I mean, tons of restaurants in Helena, but did you, do you have like a particular favorite, like from childhood or any point in your life that that's kind of like the one place you'll, what's the first place you'd take a newbie to? I'll ask it that way. Oh, oh, dang. Um, I thought a lot about this and it's hard because there's just, there's a variety um, and it completely depends. I know that I mentioned the no sweat cafe and that's always one that's on my, like I have to take people yeah. um, here. Boom. And, but it's like specifically that's breakfast. Sure. When it comes to dinner there, um, there's a wonderful restaurant here called on Broadway and they do, you know, more upper scale. They don't take reservations. You have to show up if a table's available, it's available. Sure. They also have brilliant cocktails. Um, but everything that they make, they rotate, they allow the chef to rotate the menu as they see mm-hmm. fit. So it's one of those things where there's always going to be something else to try. But I just, I just like to take people there because it's this feeling of I've been to places like New York. I have been to Chicago before I lived in San Francisco and you can go to really fancy restaurants if you want. And there's that, that feeling of importance of you as the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this, it's an added level of care that goes into something. And that's something that when I go to a place like on Broadway, the food may be a little more expensive, but to people that are used to living in bigger cities or more metropolitan areas, it would, they would consider it affordable. That's, it sounds a lot like Um, where I was at. Like it's in a very, it's placed in an upscale environment, but in reality it's, it's, affordable for most it's affordable and but they 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 cook to that high level yeah yeah and everyone that they hire they hire people that want to be there rather than people that are trying to be there out of desperation so it's just the the level of i don't know i like going somewhere and feeling like i am not better than the servers or anything by any means but i feel like i'm being careful yeah i i that's so that's I love that feeling. from from a server's perspective. I totally understand that because I view serving in its best form as I get to play host for you for an hour or two. And I know that most people go out to eat. I mean, you know, it's all also about like reading the vibe of the table. You know, like if you're on a first date, I'm gonna let you be. But, you know, like, you know, I'll refresh your drinks and I'll make sure your your food is good. But I'm gonna let you woo her. And then, right. And sometimes that doesn't go well, and I have to kind of be waiter to the rescue. Oh, those are fun. Those are like the tables I live for. But like, <laughs> it's like oh, bad first date at table twelve. But like, you know, it's. But for me, when families come, and you know, it's like a reunion, and you kind of get to be a part of it a little bit. You know, you're not their family, but you know, you're the one going around the room talking about the food. I took pride in how knowledge I was on the menu. Anytime we had a new menu item, I'd usually read out the, I'd read the recipe. So I knew exactly what he was cooking with. And, you know, for me, having, being the sort of foodie I am, I loved that dynamic of when a family comes in and they really sometimes, you know, they don't know anything other than food in a restaurant. Cause maybe they, you know, they've got money. They don't cook. They don't, you know, they travel, who knows, but I, I loved that element of being, you know, your host or, you, you know, your your caretaker, quite honestly, in a, in a way. And 
I mean, yeah, I got paid for it. But, you know, like, I didn't do it for... I didn't put on a fake face for money. I, I genuinely enjoyed conversing with people and learning their likes and dislikes about food and seeing how our food at the restaurant could... And, you know, going to a table and hearing, I've never had food like this. It's so good. I mean, that makes my day as a server. Well, and that's one of the things that I love about going to on Broadway as well is that I can ask any individual server what they enjoy mm-hmm. and they will have tried it. They know something that they that's their favorite on the menu so that if I'm confused or if I just want to try something that I wouldn't have normally thought about, I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Then. I would like to do that. And I don't know. I like that. Again, the getting to know mm-hmm. people thing. I find people, I just, in general, as a person, I find people very, very interesting. And that's part of my actor background, I think, because in our little ways as actors, you know, we are, you know, not as well trained as psychologists, but we <laughs> like to learn about we, people. I, you know, for myself, I was so broken as in my own individual person. Doing theater was my way to forget about that and be in another world for a little bit and you know we were trained to not view it that way and i don't view it that way much now but you know it isn't an escapism for me but it started that way and you know i think a lot of creativity starts that way and um i what i was gonna say uh just kind of like about the place you're talking about and where i worked and everything it it kind of reminds me of a situation there was a server once uh he didn't work there for very long and I remember I had, I had taken an order from, like, you know, pretty well-to-do people. And, you know, most servers would see that as an opportunity. Okay, I shouldn't say most. Some servers would view that as an opportunity to milk the price of your shit and get your money. But for me, it's like I went up to the table and a guy asked about an item on the menu. And he, and, I, and he was like, I just, he's like, I'm trying to, you know, figure out what I want. And I've been traveling all day and I don't know. And... And I was like, well, let me tell you what you want is really bland. It's sort of the like, it's the dish that we have on the menu because it's a healthier option. It's not, you know, it's just, I'm like, it's there. It's not anything I'm super passionate about. And that menu item is like $27 or $25. I'm like, I would steer, I steered him to the burger, which was 12 And so to me, it's like, I don't care if it's a pay cut. It's a pay cut. I don't view it that way. It's I want to give people, you know, and he, I'll never forget that guy. He He's like, I have never had a burger like that. He's like, I'm so glad I took your recommendation and didn't order what was twice as expensive and probably wouldn't have liked. And I'm like, yeah, I want you to enjoy yourself. I don't want you to like or think you have to spend the money on something that, you know, you're probably not going to like. But just because you're in this position mm-hmm. to do so, you know, and just because I know you're rich and I could take you for what you're worth and get you like 12 drinks you know like i could really pull the the waitering out but like i just don't believe in that it's like no no it's not what people go out to eat for they want good food period you know i always think about like places that i go that i feel that the money that i've spent is that i i feel bad that i'm not spending more right. money on the food that i'm getting and those i think the value of the place has outdone what the food mm-hmm. is worth, outdone what I've paid to people, outdone what I've tipped. And I think that those have become some of my favorite places to go to, which is why like on Broadway, the No Sweat Cafe, 
Um, I mean, even little the Avon Cafe, think about like you have such a vivid and happy memory of a place that we had to drive 45 See, minutes. and you know what I remember is I, I don't even remember the car ride. I just remember this like, you know, we drove into the mountains and there was this like magical little cafe that served just all American food. It was all American food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had nothing like that in Lincoln. Nothing. Like, I mean, Village Inn, maybe, you know, we didn't have diners or like places like that. So to me, that diner culture is like, I'll always sit and eat in a diner. But I know what you mean, though, when it's tough. Sometimes I go out to eat, especially when I'm on vacation and I feel like, wow, this is like above and beyond. And, you know, but I always tell people who travel and say that said that to me, I'd be like, hey, if you're ever in Chicago again, bring people, you know, and they they would. I would get regulars that were like cross country work travelers and like every couple months they'd be back in for breakfast and it'd be like, Oh yay, I have like a long distance regular, you know, you know, and it was, that's kind of the moments I think I took the most pride in with that industry. Um, I am going to last, I'm going to ask the last question now is cause I know we should probably wrap up. Um, so um, the top fives, now, you don't have to have gotcha. five of each. Most people kind of don't, which has been pleasantly surprising that people don't hate a lot, I guess. You know, that's always good. But um, so let's start. I always start with the loves. So what are the top five food loves? Yeah. I know that I think I've repeated myself a couple times. Oh, that's fine. Um, but a cheesecake, milkshakes. I'm a huge burger person. I love... I freaking love pickles. Oh, my God. So much. How have I not even talked about or mentioned that? I, I know. I was waiting for it when you kept talking about college. I'm like, okay, well, do you want to tell the people that you like drinking pickle juice or do you want me to do that? I guess I already did. I like drinking pickle juice and it's good for your skin. It is. Place. It is actually um, really good. I've no, I've tried it. And I'm like, damn it it works but it's like i can't oh no but i will like it's actually something too that when i do travel i do buy jars of pickles from local places to bring them home and then try them <laughs> at home I, um and the last is that <laughs> Sorry, oh i was gonna say thing. it's uh it's so funny because i i have such a weird like thing with pickles i love pickles on their own never on a burger Never on anything, never in anything, but I have come to love bread and butter pickles. Like, because they're oh, really? kind of peppery, a little uh, sweeter. Mm-hmm. They're not so, like, you know, dill, you know, that's all we, ha- yeah, Vinegar that's really all we dilly. had in the grocery store growing up. So, yeah, I've come to like pickles more as an adult, but yeah. Uh, and I would say my last one is that clam chowder and then sourdough bread bowl and i think that that has the most to do with memory sure because it doesn't mean the same thing necessarily here that it meant in san francisco but it always reminds me of san francisco uh hates five food hates right sure yeah (laughs) lay them on me um i was gonna say i don't think that i necessarily have five i know that like Badly cooked okra is something that I really am just opposed yeah. to because okra is really good when cooked yep. correctly. Do you like fried okra? Do you like sli- fried okra? I do too. I do. I like fried, fried okra. Fried okra with rumalade sauce is fucking good. That mm. and fried green tomatoes. I need to, Dylan never Dylan had it's never heard delicious. of them. 
He's from the he's from the really? east. They don't have that there. So <laughs> All they have is lobster. I also that's true. <laughs> and crab. 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 Um I can't do oysters or mussels. Okay. I don't like oysters. I love mussels. So I oddly do have that aversion to really metally tasting fish. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Okay. Like there's there's something about I can taste like the nickel and the zinc and stuff. I just can't do it. It's the saltiness and the texture. Mussels I like. Just like it's though. an odd That's just me. It's an odd combination. I don't know what it is with Are mussels. those the one or do they both but give you the metallic taste or is it just mussels? Mussels give me the metallic taste. The oysters it's all about that like that slimy yeah. And I just can't, I don't know what it is. Uh, the last one, and I know it's a story that I've told you before, but um, I will tell it again, and I guess that'll be kind of our final Sure, note. yeah. <laughs> My biggest food aversion that everybody knows that is close to me or spends any amount of time with me around food and around anything is specifically ketchup. I can Yep, I knew you were going to say ketchup. I have a very... Vi- I have a visceral reaction to it, and it leads back to when I was a kid (laughs) that I was being watched by my dad. And by watched by my dad, I mean, I guess I really was not being watched by my dad, or I wouldn't have been able to do this. And I was hanging out with some kid in the neighborhood, and we were daring each other to do stupid things like jump over trash cans, try to climb up onto the roof. And he was like, I dare you to drink the bottle of ketchup in the fridge. And I was like, I'm not scared. I'll do it. Meanwhile, I'm like six years old. And I go to the bottle of ketchup in the fridge, and it was one of those jumbo Heinz bottles of ketchup. Oh, God. And it was just like full. And I just chugged the whole thing. And I wound up throwing up ketchup for like an hour. Uh, And that's got to be, that's got to be alone like a, a traumatic visual to have because it's dark and red my father freaked out yeah exactly my father freaked out thought that i was dying i and then now you know it's it's something i can stomach that if it's on something but if i don't have to have it i don't want to because it causes sure visceral like nope my body just says for me that mostly is alcohol that causes the deep it's fireball specifically I think that that's. I think that everybody has an alcohol memory that they associate with that. I just happen to also have that with ketchup because as a child, I binge drank oh ketchup. Like an you know, idiot. Brandon. Though you've survived worse, you got struck by lightning. I did. <laughs> you have um, sewn have your worse. stomach in. No, what body part did you sew yourself? <laughs> no, it was. It was my abdomen. I I did end up having to give myself stitches in my abdomen. I told my mom it. that, and she's like, "Oh my god!" She was like, like slightly horrified, like, but well, because it wasn't pleasant either, because it was with just like a needle and thread that we had. Uh, I would have passed out. So you had to heat up the passed needle. Passed out. You had to heat up the needle. Well, and nobody else was brave enough to do it, so I just had to do it. I myself. feel like too, so if I, you're put in a position where you know that it's going to possibly save your life it's like yeah just let me do it yeah and see for me i'm a total wuss one time i made nachos when i was living with richard and i cut the (laughs) okay (laughs) here's a blood alert for you i like cut kind of the tip of my thumb off and i'll never get i was talking about you i was like i was because i was like supposed to meet with you or something and i like canceled because i was like having a bad day i was like i feel really bad about brandon cut and then I saw it and I passed out. 
<laughs> so poor Richard has like a perf- you know my hands like bleeding. I'm on the floor, but um no, I I did know that you had a very strong aversion to ketchup, and I remember that because I would never there'd never be ketchup in your fridge. I'd have to bring my own ketchup to your house, <laughs> and mm-hmm. a jug a jug of Sunny fridge. D. Good times. Um. Well, gosh, we've talked for so long with I've loved every minute of it and I probably won't cut a lot of it. But um, I give every guest a chance to plug anything they're doing or if they're in or they're social. So if, is there anything that you're working on that you can plug or? Yeah, because um, I don't know what stages well, you're in. There is always there is always uh, my music is out there with Brandon Kirchcastle in the Indestructible yes. Band. It still exists. There is a longer, what we are calling a double album that we're getting really close to finishing. Um, I will be in an upcoming web series called Metal Lark that's filming up here. It's a horror-based series. Very, I would say very Twin Peaks meets American Horror Story, if anybody has interest in those. And uh, one project that I'm not ready to announce the title just yet, but I will say that it involves... Uh, how do I want to <laughs> phrase this? I will say that it involves um, somebody that we all know and love dearly, and it's going to be very significant. Santa, <laughs> I, I know who Santa. it is. It's I, not Santa. Yeah, let's plug the big. <laughs> let's plug the big D and D. That oh, big we don't D&D need to plug that show. Episode, <laughs> if, uh, if anybody wants to go listen to that, there's there was a really oh yeah you. I thought you were just plugging Santa it to be nice. That. I'm like, we don't need to plug that show. What are you talking about? <laughs> Eric can go suck it. No. Um, but I no, this has been great. And um, I usually try to end a podcast like on a final thought of whoever is the mm-hmm. guest. And so like, I guess if there was one kind of like message about food or something that you carry with you about food, is there anything like you'd want to impart to the listeners or anything like that? I know that's kind of a weird question to ask, but I just like tailing the up. Ep- I just like tailing the episodes that way. No, uh, I think that we stumbled on a good phrase earlier of something that's just a big belief of mine in general, but I think that food can be a vehicle for it, is allowing your yourself to match yourself, yeah. like I said earlier, and use food as a vehicle to get mm-hmm. there. It's something that can make you happy. It fuels your body. It gives life to you and to those around you. And I don't know, I guess the, I guess really when I think about it, when you ask that question is I think back to the moments when it felt like I truly had family around me. And I think back to those simple things like college barbecues and just everybody pitching in the money that they had to buy what we had to make whatever we could. And so it brings me back to what that family really was. And it was all the people that chose to give what they could and do what they could and contribute what they could. So I I think maybe that's what it is. Do what you can, give what you can, but just enjoy the people that you get to have those moments with. I'd like to thank Brandon for being on this podcast. 
If you'd like to support this show, don't forget to subscribe and please give the show a rating on your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at gfbf at arcadiapodcastnetwork.com. I hope you join me next week for another episode of Good Food for Bad Friends from the Arcadia Podcast Network.